And we are live, episode 22, coming at you on this beautiful Tuesday. Well, we got lots to cover with the NFL draft just uh, happening up, happening and wrapping up. NBA playoffs coming right around the corner. But before we talk sports, let's talk fueled supplements. I don't know about you guys, but being sore after workouts is something I don't look forward to, especially when I'm getting back into a routine. That's why I'm thankful for my family over at Fueled Supplements for supplying me with all the essential products to combat muscle soreness, increase recovery time so that I can get back into the gym faster, but also just has me feeling great. I absolutely love their essential amino acid, BCAA, and hydration formula called Comeback. This is a plant-based fermented essential amino acid with BCAs paired with complete hydration complex, including coconut water and pink Himalayan sea salt for minerals and electrolyte balance. I'll tell you guys what, I'm a believer. Uh, Their new flavors are out of this world delicious, and my favorite flavor is the blueberry slushy. And don't just take my word for it. Go to fueledsupplements.com and use my promotion code buckets for 20% off all your um, supplement needs, excluding whey protein. Uh, But again, you guys are buying supplements. You're trying to get back into a routine working out for summer. You're feeling that soreness. Uh, tryfieldsupplements.com, give you a little promotion code and savings out the out your cart instead of just going to the big guys and feeding money into corp- into the big corporations. Uh, once again, fieldsupplements.com, you'll see their links all over my social medias and, and um, uh, posts around. Uh, but once again, thanks Field Supplements for keeping the lights on. But let's talk NFL. Always starting the, sh- the show with NFL. <clears throat> and boy, oh boy. Do we have some topics to cover? I'm excited. I know the schedule is coming out soon. I'm just eager for some football to be back in my life, especially because as a Steelers fan, I still have a sour taste in my mouth from that damn Browns-Steelers football game. So whole story of the NFL draft. For me, I usually watch the first round on TV. I look and see how accurate mock drafts are, analysts, if it's completely different. And obviously, I'm interested to see which direction my, my team will go. Now, this year, I expected just chaos to happen, and I didn't think it'd be anything like we saw in the mock drafts, and I was completely wrong. The mock drafts were actually very accurate, and a lot of the assumptions that they were making were true. My thought process was because of COVID, the lack of scouting, like people would be all over the board, but I think it was more so because of COVID and lack of scouting, they just went with the, the typical moves that you would expect the team to do. Um, and again, the mock drafts are pretty, pretty comparable, especially the first three rounds. Now, quickly, before we dive through the first round, I'm not going to go through all seven rounds. The first round is probably the most important. Uh, but five picks I really enjoyed was the Justin Fields picks by the, by the Bears. We'll talk about that. I think it's clearly Trevor Lawrence 1A, uh, Justin Fields 1B, and then the rest of the field. Um, I'm not an NFL scout, clearly, but you know I always give my takes on how I feel from the film I see. But most importantly, I watch all the games. I think that's more important. A scout or an NFL analyst could go in and watch tape, look at specific things like their footwork, their arm strength, yada, yada. But when we're talking about D1 football, SEC football, Big Ten football, like really good Power 5 conferences, I feel like the game tape's what matters. How do they affect the game? What kind of charisma do they have? What kind of leadership do they possess? And and how do they act on and off the field? And those are the things that, that really goes into it for me because those are the most translatable, in my opinion, to the NFL. Sure, we do have guys that randomly uh, will prove us wrong. Everyone likes to bring up Tom Brady. 
But Tom Brady did go to Michigan, right? He did go to a Power 5 school, was successful there. Uh, they just didn't think it would translate into the NFL. There could be other guys such as, you know, Mac Jones that, that translate into that. But I just know that there's usually two quarterbacks that uh, translate as franchise quarterbacks, not a one-year starter or not a guy that has a winning record. If we look at Jared Goff, for example, he, he brought the Rams all the way to the Super Bowl. Not necessarily him, in my opinion, but he still made the Super Bowl. Now he's a, you know, got shifted off to Detroit and is treated as a bench warmer. He's not a franchise quarterback. Teams aren't interested in moving their franchise forward with Jared Goff, who is actually pretty young still to this day. I'm assuming mid 20s. Let's see. He is 26 years old, and we have NFL quarterbacks winning Super Bowls at 42. So he has a he could have a very long career left, but. When it comes to my dissection of the NFL quarterbacks, I'm talking about franchise quarterbacks that teams want to have, make trades for, sign for uh, as a franchise QB to move their franchise forward with. I think Justin Fields is that guy. And what an amazing situation as a top-level quarterback. If I'm Justin Fields, I'm more excited than ever. Fuck being drafted two, three, four, five, six, seven, all those other teams that passed it up on me. I now get to go to a franchise that has a very good defense, has pieces around me, and puts me in a position to be successful. Right? Imagine going to the fucking Jets. Sorry, Zach Wilson. But imagine Justin Fields going to the Jets. I think that's the team that should have took him. If not the 49ers, it's a little bit of a different thing because they had traded up for the three spot. Uh, but I feel like he's just in a perfect system. He's not going to be forced to do too much. You know, David got Montgomery struggled a little bit, but I think he will translate. They get that running game going. It'll open up so much more possibilities for him. And the Bears are saying they're going to start with Dalton out the gates. But I guarantee you if Fields has a good offseason, he's going to be the day one starter. And if not, Andy Dalton's going to have a very short leash because we already know the potential of Andy Dalton. We saw it last year with the Cowboys. We see it with the uh, with the Bengals over and over a year. He's like an 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven quarterback, right? That's just not going to get the job done. In my opinion, with the Bears, that's just not a very good fit. Let's look at the receiver depth real quick. Um, who's his best receivers? I know that they drafted a lineman. We'll, we'll get into that here in a second as well for him. Uh, but right now you have David Montgomery. I don't know if they re-signed Tariq Cohen or not. Obviously, he's had some injury issues. They have Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, and Darnell Mooney. So they don't have a bunch of studs at receiver. Uh, but, hey... They're putting him in a pretty good position with that defense and some of the leadership that that team possesses. And it's a history franchise that hasn't had a quarterback for a long fucking time. I love the pick. We also have Rashawn Slater, who, in my opinion, is debatably the best lineman uh, that was available in the draft. He's an offensive tackle, same as uh, Panay Sowell, who you know was drafted higher and was considered the best lineman in the draft. But for him to fall all the way down to the 13th pick for the Chargers, who had just got Justin Herbert, who looks like to be as a franchise quarterback, are looking to, to develop that team. What a good fucking pick for that team. What a match made in heaven. I'm sure they were just like oozing out with confidence, joy after that pick because I would not have expected him to fall. All the desperate teams up here reaching for quarterbacks have allowed that to happen. I also like Christian Derrissaw, another uh, offensive tackle that I really enjoyed that I wanted the Steelers to draft. Um, I would like to think that they would have drafted him if he didn't get taken the pick before them to the damn Minnesota Vikings. Um, but it seems like Najee, Najee Harris was going to be the guy for the Steelers. We'll dive into that later. Um, but this was a guy that I didn't think the Steelers even had a chance at drafting, that he would have been drafted uh, way ahead of time. Really good pick. Loved the pick for the Vikings. They have Dalvin Cook. They're trying to develop that run game. Uh, so that's another pick I really enjoyed. 
And, you know, a lot of mine are, are linemen. It is what it is. But also Tevin Jenkins. That is the Bears line, uh, the, the lineman that the Bears drafted. And he was expected notoriously in almost every single mock draft I've seen to be in the first round. I watch this guy play quite frequently, being a Big 12 guy as an Oklahoma Sooner fan. And this guy is just mean. He's, you know, aggressive. He's great in the run game. Somebody that I think definitely preaches Bears football, in my opinion, I thought was a Steelers football type guy. Uh, but wow, what a good, what a good, uh, draft pick by them. And I still can't believe that he had fell into the fifth round or the second round, excuse me. And then another pick outside of the first and second round that I liked was Ronnie Perkins to the Patriots. Um, the Patriots have added all this free agent, uh, weapons on the, on the offensive side of the football. They've done well defensively. They had a, a few people opt out that are looking to return, but they do need help on the Ed rushing side of the ball. Uh, ever since I got rid of Chandler Jones, who's now a beast all-pro player in Arizona, but I love me Ronnie Perkins. I could just tell you one player. I don't think I've seen one player make such a big impact in a Power 5 school. Oklahoma, if you look at the early part of their schedule, really were struggling as a defense right? They have Grinch coming over trying to like renew the defense uh, because the reason they would always lose in the college football playoff is they couldn't fucking defend. They always had the offense but couldn't defend. So they're trying to rebuild that pro program. Grinch has done a good job and they, they're known as like the speed D, lots of quick guys. But the biggest thing they were missing was a true pass rusher. And Ronnie Perkins was suspended for a while. Once he came back, game changer, man. Absolute game changer. The defense looked more aggressive, and it just helped everything else fall in place. I think him falling to the third round is a very great steal for the Patriots. I'm sure the Patriots knew that absolutely and were able to jump on that. Uh, I hate to see him going to the Patriots because I want to root for the guy, uh, but great move by the Patriots. That's another pick that I really enjoyed. Now some picks that I don't like, some picks that I hate. First one, easy. Zach Wilson to the Jets. I don't understand what the hell is going on here. First off, he didn't play for a Power 5 school. That's a flag. That's not necessarily, you know, a huge issue, but that's a red flag, right? If I'm looking at a guy, there's a bunch of red flags. It's probably not going to work out. First one, BYU. <clears throat> Last year, you look at the schedule. They played no opponents whatsoever. And in the games that I watched, which surprisingly, I watch a few, right? Um, I'm from Wyoming. I like to root for Wyoming football. I watch a lot of the smaller schools, uh, the one double a, the lower school, uh, lower powered conferences in college football and BYU doing really well being in the rankings. I like to watch a lot of the top 25 teams when I have a chance. And every time I felt like this guy was put in a high pressure situation, he crumbled. And I mean, the guy has barely hit maturity at this point, right? So I think that's the intrigue of drafting him is like he's barely matured. Like imagine all, his ceiling is very high, but I just don't think he possesses the intangibles that you need as a franchise quarterback, right? We're not talking start, starting quarterback. We're not talking decent quarterback. We're talking fucking franchise quarterback. Like if you're back against the wall, you're a GM, you got to make a decision or might get fired like the Jets probably are in. You got to pick the right guy. This is not the right guy. And for Zach Wilson, it sucks because he has to now put his trust in the New York Jets organization, which I don't know if anyone would want to do as a starting quarterback and has to figure it out. And he's going to be high pressure, high pressure situations right away. And everything is going to be under a microscope. And I just don't like the fit for either the player nor the franchise. Um, yeah, I, I'm just not a big fan whatsoever. And then another one. What in the hell? The, the Raiders have been doing this every single year, just reaching for people. And this year they took Alex Leatherwood with the 17th overall pick. 
the 17th overall pick. Now, is this a, a shame on Alex Leatherwood? Not, 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 not at all. I mean, he played for Bama. He's done really good in the championship game. He flourished. Like, this guy is a massive human being and can be aggressive. If the Raiders want to run the ball, um, you know, I assume that they're going to be a run-heavy team. They're going to have a guy to follow. But this guy would have been available in the second round. If this is your guy, draft somebody else and then get him in the second round. If, you know, I'm a team and I'm so obsessed over somebody, why would I go in the first round and get him if I know he'll be available in the second? Now, Nothing's ever known, but I almost guarantee you this man would have been available in the second. Now, not every team has situations like this. Uh, as a Steelers fan, I was pissed that we took Najee Harris, but we had to, right? Right off the board right away, ETN next. And then early in the second round, Javante Williams. From there, I feel like the talent of running backs goes from here to very far, a big dip, pretty far low. And I, as a Steelers franchise, I knew they had to make a change. They need a like a franchise running back, so to speak, which there's not really... <laughs> you know, a bell cow running back, we'll say. Um, and they, they had to make that reach because they knew what the, you know, the, the dominoes were going to be in the draft. With so many linemen available, guys like Tevin Jenkins sleep into the, uh, falling to the second. They could have had this guy in the second. They could have got better quality, which they have positional needs all over the defensive side of the football. So that's just a head scratcher. I hate that pick. Another pick that I was not a big fan of was the Giants taking Kadarius Toney. So, we look at the Giants, you know, they are in somewhat of a dumpster fire division. They're trying to help Daniel Jones be successful. Um, Saquon Barkley coming off injury. With all the young players that they have, why would you not draft a lineman or a bigger position need of need than the receiver group when this guy I don't think is a clear like wide receiver one? His speed, some of his intangibles remind me of Percy Harvin who came out of Florida, but this guy is not a guy that you draft that high up in the, the draft. They drafted him 20th right? You look at some of the receivers behind them. You know, personally, I like Rashard Bateman better. Uh, I don't think that's a, necessarily a scheme fit for them with the receivers that they have at this moment, especially getting, um, the hell is his name? Uh, Kenny Galladay from Detroit, who is a beast. So they didn't, they don't need that big body, like massive, you know, third down conversion type player. They need that, that, that spark, but I think they could have got you know, a receiver in the third, fourth, fifth round like the Steelers do every year and still got that and given value elsewhere that would help Daniel Jones be successful. So this is a pick I, I'm not a big fan of. And another one uh, right after the Steelers was Travis Etienne to the Jaguars. As a fan, this is cool because Etienne now gets to play with Trevor Lawrence again like Clemson uh, Unite. But if I'm the Jaguars, I'm fucking Urban Meyer and I have to transform this franchise and I got my franchise quarterback. What is the first thing I am doing? I am getting him some protection. And no, they drafted a running back who, you know, if you can at all, at all avoid drafting a running back in the first round, you do it. Why? Well, a, a very good running back's got like a five-year shelf life, right? They're not going to last that long. You need to almost have a running back by committee in today's NFL. So that's the first reason. Second reason, they have valuable running backs. James Robinson was undrafted right now. They went first round and got one and had a monster season. You know, I get the idea that they want him to be the third down back, the pass catching back. That's fine. But you could have found an option like that later. Unless Trevor Lawrence is like, yo, dude, I need you to draft fucking Travis Etienne. There's no way. And this is why I feel like a lot of the big time college coaches struggle in the NFL because this was an unnecessary move, right? This is chess, not checkers. I don't just recruit the best players and put them together. We have to make sure that we're getting the most value for the round. We have to grow organically because there's all the salary cap, all these issues. We can't just ooh and ah. Uh, by the way, you're part of the Jacksonville organization. Like, 
I don't know if Jacksonville's ever ooed nod, right? Even in the Fred Taylor days, they had some some oomph to them, some like bad boys oomph to them. But they're never like, holy shit, dude, the fucking Jaguars, what an organization, what a team. Oh my gosh, I never want my team to play the Jaguars. Like that never comes out of my mouth. So uh, I don't know. You know. Urban Meyer, good luck. If, <laughs> To be honest, like the way Jay Gruden and Mayock have developed the Las Vegas Raiders organization, I don't know if I have faith in these these big time guys coming into the NFL and, and, and molding a team. They just, I don't know. They're not not wearing the right hat. They're, they're doing too much. Just too much extra shit. And then the last pick, probably the most drama-filled team this weekend after the Aaron Rodgers news, the Green Bay Packers taking Eric Stokes, who's the second-best corner on the Georgia Bulldogs. So do they need have a need for a corner? Sure. You know, they have Alexander. Obviously, their secondary got torn up in the NFL playoffs, and that's probably top of mind. But if I have drama with Rodgers and I'm serious about fucking you know, fixing this relationship, I'm probably going to do something that will help the offense, the receiving core, the line, you name it, and show Aaron Rodgers that I'm willing to make these moves to make him, uh, to have him stay. Unlike drafting Jordan Love in the first round, and now a second best corner on a team, Eric Stokes in the first round. The first round, not the third round, the fucking first round. So yeah, those are just some picks that just completely blew my mind. Um, and that makes no sense if I wear Shane's uh, GM hat. But real quick, I got to talk Steelers draft. There's been lots of different grades and reviews of, of their draft. I give them a B. The B being that I felt like we could have pretty much executed the draft we had that was better for us to win now. And that might be the problem is I don't think the Steelers did this drafting to win now. They wanted to set themselves up for success in the future as well. But you got to get an O-line. If you want the running game to work well, you got to get O-line. I wanted a couple of the guys, right? Uh, we have a lot of aging guys. Uh, Villanueva just signed with the Ravens, so he's obviously not coming back. DeCastro is getting older and had, a, had somewhat of a rough season. It seemed like, you know, his mindset and what I heard in interviews was that, like, not having the fans there, he lost some luster or something. But Tevin Jenkins slipped to the second. Obviously... The guy that I really wanted, Darisaw, was right before us, but there was still really good offensive linemen availabilities. You had Creed Humphrey, center for Oklahoma, Lana Dickerson, Alabama. Like there was really good positions, but I don't know the Steelers draft room. Maybe they had tried to do this, but ideally, if we could have traded back and got two seconds, let someone else jump into the first, we could have got in in that early second round pick lineman or, or later second round pick running back, or you could have got. Um, lineman running back flip-flop depending on how the draft was going. Because I think the, the Jaguars would have took ETN no matter what, even if Najee was available, uh, which is even crazier. Urban Meyer, like, what you know, what do you know that I don't know? Um, and then Javante Williams, you know, hopefully one of those guys would have been left as they traded back. Again, I don't know if that was the case. But then the second pick was such a sexy pick over a necessity pick. And we drafted Pat Fermuth, obviously he's an in-state guy playing college football at Penn State. Supposedly, you know, he's he's a top-level tight end, and there was only a couple of them. Um, but why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Kyle Pitts got all the glory, and, and people forgot about what was available. So supposedly this might be a sleeper pick, a, kind of a sneaky pick for the Steelers. Um, but we could have got a tight end a little bit later. Um so value-wise, I feel like that wasn't a very good move. And again, linemen, corners. Like, we got rid of Steven Nelson. Now we have 
Um, Cam Sutton, who I actually really like getting put into a cornerback role, but then we have no depth. So, yeah, those were just some things that, that got me a little nervous. To be honest, I don't know much about Kendrick Green. I don't watch Illinois football whatsoever. Uh, barely watch Illinois basketball, let alone Illinois football. Supposedly they hit gold with this guy. He's an aggressive guy. Fell because of some reasons, and they got a steal. So if he translate, you know, that's even better. That's why I'm giving them a B. But, yeah, the, the first few rounds, really head-scratching for me. Uh, but the, the Steelers usually draft really well, so I just got to let them do their thing. And they usually find gold nuggets later in the draft, which I won't go through all seven of the rounds. Uh, but it looked like there was some intriguing picks later in the rounds. Outside of Steelers news, because I know you guys love listening to me talking about Steelers, uh, Thursday Night Football starting 2022 only on Amazon Prime Video. Streaming services are becoming the new normal. I mean, that's a massive move. As streaming services or over-the-top cable streaming, whatever you want to call it, have started, I never thought that they could move away from cable or like eliminate the cable market because of sports. You have to have cable to watch live sports. And now with all the apps, the CBS app, Fox Sports app, you got Amazon Prime, like you're almost getting where the main sports are getting translated to streaming services. This is a massive move. Obviously, Amazon has fuck you money to do whatever they want, uh, but it's just crazy to see. You know, I don't like the the, the Friday night or Thursday night Prime production, to be honest. The thing I liked about Thursday night last year on Fox was that they had the 4K UHD. It was like really high quality football games, the dopest experience I've seen. So uh, hopefully, if if they're taken over, they're able to translate that, and that's not until 2022. So I'd assume so, as I'm sure that'll be like the normal watching, you know, option at that time. But crazy moves. I I, I want to talk about that because that's pretty. That's a pretty big power move. And then the Broncos, obviously, you know, from the last pod before the draft to trade the six round pick for Teddy Bridgewater. They didn't draft a quarterback, so they're going to open have an open QB competition with Mr. Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. That shall be interesting. I expect Drew Locke uh, to stay as a starter, but uh, at least they have another option in case that falls apart. And then Aaron Rodgers. Man. Usually you see headlines like this and you want to assume that it's just someone's blowing smoke, right? Heard a rumor. It blew out of proportion. It's like a game of telephone. But this isn't the first time. This has been over many of years. Lots of fucking things like drafting Jordan Love in the first round last year. So I do feel like this is a valid discussion. And I think that Rodgers is serious about leaving. Now, somewhat like the Deshaun Watson thing, I think the the, the Packers are going to do everything that they can so this motherfucker can't get off the squad. Right? They're going to try to keep this team as close together as possible. Um, and, and they know like without Rodgers, their team just completely falls apart. So... Yeah, I mean, do they fill the phone calls? You got to fill the calls. You got to see what's up there. Is there going to be an offer that really blows them out of the water that they want to act on? Potentially. Um, yeah, I think the Packers, this gets messy and they force Aaron Rodgers' hand. And then at that point, like, is he going to sit out? You're towards the end of your career. Like, this is, you know, the time that you're supposed to be in win now mode. Do you just go host Jeopardy? What happens? I'm not too sure. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a very interesting topic to track. And I do think that it is a valid discussion. It's not just bullshit. Uh, like most of the headlines are crazy world, crazy world. You know, I even think every team should do their due diligence. If there's an option to get Rogers, 
you know, even as a Steeler fan, Rodgers is 37 years old. He still is playing very quality football. We got one more year of Roethlisberger. You set up Rodgers. Like, you know, what would that do? You get a couple of years of him. I don't know if I really like that. They would want way too much in return for something like that. Uh, but you got to figure it out. I mean, it's Aaron Rodgers. I'm sure every team will be trying to field the option, but I don't think it makes sense for a lot of teams. He's just older, right? Uh, that's that's just a tough thing to do is to sign a quarterback at 37 years old. Not everyone can go win Super Bowls at 42 like fucking Tom Brady. Elsewhere, DK Metcalf entering the 100 meter at the USA Track and Field Golden Games. What a fucking stud. This would set him up to qualify for the Olympic trials in June, and he would likely need to break a 10.2 second 100 to qualify it's on NBC Sports. I'll probably tune in. I mean, I remember watching him on that chase down against the Cardinals. Like, Jesus, this guy's just a fucking freak. If he actually was able to qualify for the Olympics, could you imagine as a receiver with that kind of a body to get off the gun that fast to be able to run, which is one of the most intriguing things as far as just a straight fucking sprint, 100 meters. Um, so, yeah, interesting headline, interesting to see where this goes, and just interested to watch him run because, yeah, I mean, he's a specimen. Lastly, we'll run through round one very quick outside of what I've already covered, and then we will do a little early power rankings. First thing I'll say before we get into the power rankings, also, this is the idea that Rodgers might not be there, so Packers fans will get all pissed off. <clears throat> but let's recap round one. Trevor Lawrence, Jacksonville, we knew it was going to happen. I mean, this is a great move, a great position to be if you're a team trying to you know rebuild its image. I just don't know if I necessarily like this so much for Trevor. You know, Urban Meyer, more press, more shit. Trevor Lawrence, lots of press, lots of shit. Signed with Adidas, ready to rock, right? He's like the most hyped quarterback prospect since like the Peyton Mannings of the world. So lots of pressure coming here. I think he'll be fine. You know, I don't know if it's going to be a lot of uh, Herbert-esque. He's going to have some ooh and ah moments, but the team's really, you know, don't expect this team to just make the playoffs and be a 13-win team or an 11-win team for that matter, which don't forget there's 17 games this year, which is fucking crazy. Uh, but yeah, like the pick. Sucks more so for Trevor. Number two, Jets, Zach Wilson. We already know how I feel about that one. Yuck. I'm surprised. And then the most interesting one of the draft, the one that I had been thinking about the most was the third pick, San Francisco 49ers, right? With some of the injuries that you had last year coming back, your defense is a fucking force. You're paying... Playing in just a savage division right now with the Seahawks. You got the Cardinals and the Rams now with Stafford. Obviously, they're feeling the pressure. That's why they made this move. They wanted to make a move that will put them in a position to win now or in the short term because they have the team to do so, but they have probably the toughest division in football to battle through. So in my mind, is there a quarterback that they were able to get with a third pick, ideally knowing that Trevor and Zach were going to go, that would get put them in a better position to win in the short term or now than Jimmy G. I didn't think so, right? The only opportunities I think that you truly have is Trey Lance because of a ceiling or Mac Jones if he could somehow translate everything that happened at Alabama in one year's time, right? Mac Jones wasn't the spectacular quarterback until the one year at Alabama, but a lot of the red flags there is it's fucking Alabama. Look at all the players in the NFL now that he had on his team, especially that wide receiver core. So I don't think so. I think the answer is no. Now, I listened to Lynch and Shanahan talk about why they picked Trey Lance and why they thought so highly of him. And it seems like they've known this was the guy for a while. And I totally understand where they're coming from. But again, 
Is Trey Lance going to make your team better now or in the short term while your window is open? I don't think so. A lot of things are going to have to go right. I know that we draft people for potential sometimes, but a lot of things are going to have to go right. And now it is what it is. Jimmy G's a competitor. He already been fucking forced out of New England because Tom Brady's, you know, a little bitch and, and doesn't like having GQ Jimmy on the sidelines. Now he has to battle Jimmy being okay with this, having to focus, coming back from a down year to put their team in a position to win. And you have not a lot of room for error, right? Let's say Jimmy does have a couple bad games. What's the, the GM's going to think? Well, you're probably going to give this guy a chance, which then crushes all the confidence of Jimmy G, and then you're just in a, in a bad pickle. So the, the problem that I have with teams that don't necessarily need a quarterback or say he's not going to start is there's always pressure, more pressure on your starting quarterback. There's pressure on that young player to, to perform because when you're drafted this high, you almost expect to, to, to play some football. So, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily think this is a terrible pick, but I'm not a big fan. Imagine if they got Panay Sewell to their uh, already pretty decent offensive line with Trent Williams, how much more they could affect with that run game. Um, imagine if they had, I don't think you could draft Kyle Pitts with George Kittle, but, you know, <laughs> fuck. There's just lots of talent to be had here and opportunities that they had. They obviously traded up for this as well and gave up a haul. Not just a little bit. They gave up a haul to get Trey Lance. And I don't think it's going to really trend them upwards in their trajectory the next few years, especially with that division. Um, you know, you could say, well, Shane, Jimmy G is the worst division in that quarterback. Like, sure. But again, just because you have the worst division uh, quarterback in the division doesn't mean you just say, fuck it, let me just throw shit on the wall and hopefully something sticks. That's how you you start trending downwards and you end up like the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Houston Texans, so on and so forth. So not a huge fan. I'm not, you know, I understand the ceiling that he has, but I know uh, one double-A football as much as anybody coming from Montana, right? I see how these guys translate. Like I was all over Carson Wentz when Carson Wentz was there. But this guy is so fucking wrong. Carson Wentz had time, right? He battled through injuries. He recovered. He still played. He did well, got drafted. This guy has barely played, and no offense, but 1AA pre-COVID with that, like, there wasn't a lot of big powerhouse teams, as much talent in my, you know, that he got to play against, in my opinion, that there's just way too many uncertainties, way too many red flags. I wouldn't have made the move, but hey, that's why Shanahan gets paid the big bucks, and I don't. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, I'm a little, I'm still a little surprised by that one. The Falcons, Kyle Pitts, no fucking surprise here. I just hope we get to see Kyle Pitts on the football field with Julio Jones. Oh my goodness, that would be nuts. Uh, great pick by the Falcons. Once you, you know, that's a generational tight end that you're able to get, and he slips to fourth. That's awesome for you. The Bengals, Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase obviously opted out. He is quite the talent. I don't think he's going to be the best receiver in this class, and I think they got forced the hand just because Joe Burrow played for LSU and they wanted to match them together. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good pick. I think it's a little bit of a reach, but you, you got to put Joey B in a position to win. I don't know their line, offensive line depth that well, but if they could have used an offensive lineman, they'll probably regret not taking Panay Sewell and taking Jamar Chase. The Dolphins, Jalen Waddle. Supposedly this has been the best receiver in the whole class. I don't know if I'm, you know, definitely on that bandwagon. The guy has the speed and the intangibles to do something. He's played with Tua. That's a match made in heaven. I like this pick more than I like Jamar Chase going to the Bengals. The Lions, yes, you got the guy. It's fucking crazy that he slipped to number seven. You cannot go wrong with this pick for the Lions. It's the easiest pick in the draft. 
Carolina Panthers, J.C. Horn. I really like Horn, his physicality, his length as a corner. He really provides to you everything that you could ask for. And the Panthers need some help in the secondary. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good move. Same with Pat Sertain going to the Broncos. You know, could have the Panthers have taken Sertain or J.C. Horn? Absolutely. Would either of them really made too much of a difference? I don't think so. I am more interested to see out of those two guys who has the best NFL career because, yeah, those are some fucking ballers and, you know, my Steelers never get a number one corner in the draft, so I could just watch vicariously through other teams. Every year, it seems like the Steelers need a corner. I hope we draft one. We never do. And then I watch all these guys that you know were around where we drafted whatever whatever other position and see how they do. It's like, ah, man, like, fuck. The Marshawn Lattimores and those types of dudes in the world, I just get to watch them play on other teams. And I'll for sure be watching Pat and JC. Devonta Smith to the Eagles. I think that's a great pick. Holy fuck, did they ever need a receiver? Is Jalen Hurts going to work out? I don't think so, but you got to give them weapons or whoever's their weapons. They probably had the worst depth at receiver the past few years. And Devontae Smith, man, after how high he flew after the championship, he fell down to the third receiver taken and could very much be the best receiver in, in this uh, draft. So, yeah, great move for them. Justin Fields to the Bears. I, th- I could imagine being a Bears fan knowing that we had other options at quarterback and we took the fucking worst potential option that now we're looking for another quarterback and now somehow the potentially, like I said, the 1B fell to us and we were able to take him. Like I said, I think he's probably going to beat Dalton out of the gates and, and end up with a starting job. Maybe the Bears are too worried about that after Trubisky. Um, let's see here. I'm going to go and see when Trubisky was drafted. 2017 because I can't remember the other quarterbacks that were drafted that they passed up on to get Trubisky because I remember at the time I was just like what the fuck it's kind of like yeah it's just like what do you know that I don't know and obviously they just didn't know so they took Mitchell Trubisky second besides Miles Garrett who was like for sure Dundill number one they could have gotten Pat Mahomes, number 10. Well, fuck. That's all you need to know. I don't even... Deshaun Watson? Jesus, I can't... No wonder I was so confused. Like, what in the actual fuck? Like, how do you draft... Like, okay, Pat Mahomes, maybe not. Like, I totally understand he was a wild card. It's kind of like Trey Lance. Like, we we aren't sure there's a potential there. But him and Watson, you're going to tell me Mitchell fucking Trubisky was your guy? Like, ugh. And now somehow, by God's graces, they get another chance, and they get the guy. Somehow fell. Hey, bravo, Bears fans. You must be feeling good. It's got to be one of the best drafts in a while. What a fucking sweet move. Micah Parsons to the Cowboys. I love Micah Parsons. I thought he was going to be the first defensive player drafted originally. I don't know how I feel about this with the Cowboys, is they have a revolving door of linebackers now. You have Van Der Esch, You have Smith. You have him. It's like, I, you know, Sean Lee obviously retired, but I'll be interested to see how he fits in their scheme first. But, I mean, he's a fucking talent, and maybe that was the case. They're like, shit, dude, this guy's just too talented. We can't pass him up. Um, so, yeah, totally get it. Um, you know, I don't know if I'd be like A++, though, just because I, I don't know how he's going to fit in their scheme. Rashawn Slater, 13. Baller-ass pick. Love to see that. The Jets trade up for 14th and take Elijah Vera Tucker. This makes their first pick of Zach Wilson not as bad uh, because at least they're able to give some help to protect him, and they probably got the best guard available at the time. 
And then another one that I was very intrigued of that I assumed would happen, but, you know, if, if someone's going to know quarterbacks, I would assume it would be the Patriots with the whole Tom Brady thing. They go for Mac Jones. That's their guy. I just don't know if that's the guy. Real, you know, like I said, he played on one of the best football teams I've ever seen. He had all the talent. Can he provide? Absolutely. But he's going to be in a lot different world trying to learn the Patriot way, which is not meant for everyone. He seems kind of cocky and a little, little out there. And again, more pressure Cam Newton. Cam Newton doesn't work. More pressure Mac Jones. Yeah. I, I don't think this is going to be the next Tom Brady. I think everyone wants to automatically assume that. I'm just going to go out and say it's not. I don't think it's going to work. So good luck, Bill. And as a Steeler fan, I hope it fucking is a train wreck. Honestly, honestly. Probably the most intriguing defensive player, taking number 16, Zayvon Collins. I know the Steelers were goo-goo eyes all over this guy. I love Zayvon Collins. But to have him with Simmons makes it... You have two very raw, quick linebackers that I don't know if they can necessarily play together. So that makes it interesting. But hey, if you're in that division, you got to have some speed. You got Russell Wilson running around. You got Matthew Stafford in LA now. And you got, um, well, I would assume Jimmy G and that amazing run game of the Niners. So you got to be able to plug gaps. You got to be able to cover and you got to be quick. And they got some guys that can do that. So him and Isaiah Simmons, not too sure how that'll work together. Uh, but you got two badasses, you know, like I could only imagine. I remember when we had, when I say we, the Steelers had, um, well, I just blanked cause I said the wrong word. Um, Jesus. Let's see. Dun, dun. Ryan Shazier, same thing. Freak athlete just flying all over the field, but I couldn't imagine having two of those guys, right? Like we would always have. A uh, typical guy like a Vince Williams or a Larry Foote, and then we'd have the crazy Joey Porter and somebody else. I don't think I've ever seen a team with like two freak athletes as linebackers, and you know maybe they move them outside. I'm not too sure, but um, the talents there. How is going to work? I don't know. I- I'm I'm curious. And then the Raiders, Alex Leatherwood, total reach, like the guy, but they could have got him later. Still doesn't make sense. The Dolphins getting Jalen Phillips. Supposedly he was a safer edge rusher uh, than uh, Greg Rousseau. So, yeah, I mean, they need an edge rusher. He's from Miami, gets to stay in Miami. That seems like a pretty good fit to me. And then Washington football team, they get in Jamin Davis. I like Davis. Uh, You know, they have so many needs. I don't, you know, it's hard for me to be able to grade this one because it's like, is that really the best option? And obviously, I'm not going to spend the time to look at all their options right now. Uh, But, yeah, Jamin Davis, he's a stud. Uh, He played with Bud Dupree um, and a bunch of linebackers that have come out of Kentucky, so... Kadarius Tony 20th. I told you how I felt about that one. I was a little shocked. Uh, the Colts, 21, going Quiddy Payne. That was a good move. I love that. I, that defense is going to be stout. Carson Wentz in town. That team's going to be a very good football team, ladies and gentlemen. And obviously, they had some free agents. Um, there's still some people that are out there. I think they'll probably sign some more edge rushers themselves because there are a few of them left over 30. Get them on a cheap bargain. But don't forget, just now that the drafts happen, there's a lot more free agents that could sign. If you're the Steelers, please sign Richard Sherman. Um, but you get my point. There's still a lot of talent out there that they could fill in and plug holes with before the season starts. The Titans going Caleb Ferry, Farley. I love Caleb Farley. That's another cornerback that I wish you know the Steelers could almost got. 
I don't know if the, that was the the best fit and need for the Titans. Um, again, it's kind of like watch the football team though. I'm not going to go dissect all that. That's I don't quite have that time. Uh, but Caleb's a beast. The Titans are a physical team. He's a physical guy, so that I'm sure that'll work out. Uh, we know about Christian Derrissaw, Najee Harris. Love the Derrissaw, Najee. I mean, he's we got the best back in the draft. To me, it's like we got Le'Veon Bell back, right? A young, healthy Le'Veon Bell back. That's not going to hurt us. I just wish we would have had a lineman first. Travis Etienne of the Jags, questionable. I'm interested to see how that works out. Um, he's got a lot of miles on him. That was the only thing I knew how to, you know, so did Jonathan Taylor, and he had a great year, so who knows. Greg Newsom to the Browns. They really needed some secondary help, and they got it. I love this guy at a Northwestern. He's physical. He's quick. He can do a little bit of everything. I just hate that he plays for the fucking Browns now. And then Rashad Bateman. What a match made in heaven that was. Holy shit, they, they needed to have a, a good receiver, and boy, did they score. And again, as a Steelers fan, I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. Uh, the Saints getting Peyton Turner. I don't know a lot about Turner, but I know they needed an edge rusher because they just let the leading one of the leading sack uh, total DNs leave last year. Um, I can't remember where he signed to, but yeah, uh, this guy supposedly is pretty good. So <laughs> we'll just say that that's good. Uh, Twenty nine, the Packers. Eric Stokes again questionable. Don't understand where that's coming from. The Bills, Greg, Greg Rousseau, he shouldn't have been available. They needed edge work. They got it. That's a great fit in, in Buffalo as long as uh, he could go from the sunshine in Miami to the snow in Buffalo. Uh, but I think that's a good scheme fit. I really like this pick even more so than the Bateman pick. Odafi away. This guy is an animal. I got to watch a lot of Penn State. You know, they were supposed to be really good this year and kind of fell apart. Um but between him and Mika Parsons, I liked the, the, both of them, and I am surprised that he was still available. And again, a team that is very good at drafting defensively. They end up getting him. Sad day as a Steelers fan. But yeah, great scheme fit. What a good first round for the Ravens. What a good fucking first round. One of my favorite drafts, them and the Bears. And then the Bucks, Joe Tyrone, edge out of Washington. You know, they don't need a lot. He's a young, talented kid, right? I live here in Seattle. I've seen him play in Washington. Washington always has good defensive players, especially in the secondary. Um, so I'm sure that's going to work out fine. Um, again, the Bucks almost returning. I'm pretty sure now that they've signed AB, everybody from the Super Bowl team. Uh, so I wouldn't assume they're going to get worse unless Tom Brady falls off a cliff. Perfect. Wrap up the NFL news. Power rankings. Again, this is very early. This isn't me digesting depth charts and shit yet because there's still free agency. And we don't know the schedule, right? For me, the power ranking is all about who do I really feel are true contenders and how would they rank? Well, we don't know because the schedule's not out. But it comes out next week and I cannot wait. So, number one, I'm going Chiefs. Everyone has the Bucks because they won the Super Bowl. They're returning. I got the Chiefs. They added all that help to the old linemen, to their offensive line. Their, Pat Mahomes is only going to get better. I don't think Tyree Kill is getting slower and I don't think... Travis Kelsey's getting too old. So with that in mind, put it Chiefs number one. I would bet my money that they're going to win the Super Bowl next year. Unless there's a crazy injury, right? If you're going to bet your money that something's going to happen like that, if it's not in Vegas, uh, get get the injury pull out, right? Get the injury pull out. I got Bucks second, Rams third. That could be controversial for a lot of people. I mean, think about it. The fucking Rams made the second round last year strictly on defense. Literally, that was it. Their defense got them there. And they were so beaten up that they couldn't make it any further against the Packers. But you put Matt Stafford in that team, I think it makes them two games better. 
So that puts them right there, damn near in the Super Bowl. So I'm going Rams number three, Ravens number four, Bills number five. The Bills beat the Ravens last year. I had picked the Ravens to beat the Bills. Why would you put them there? Well, with the draft, I feel like their maturity with Harbaugh and the schematics that they got going on, I think they're going to be a better improved team where I think the Bills had a lot of things work right for them that they're going to run into some road bumps um, that could slow them down a little bit. But again, I don't know about the, the the schedules, right? The schedules are massive. The Bills have a way harder schedule. The Ravens, uh, than the Ravens, like yeah, that's an easier move. But I'm uh, there's some uncertainty there. Right after that, I put the Packers. I would put the Packers as four if I knew Rodgers was coming back. We don't know if he's gone either, so you know, I put him down a little bit. Then I got Seahawks, Niners again. That's three of that NFC West division. I would like to put the Cardinals up even higher. I just didn't have the balls to do so. Uh, plus, I got to look at some things as they did have a lot of holes defensively last year. So I go Packers, Seahawks, 49ers, Browns, Saints, Steelers, Colts. Well, why do you have the Browns so low? Why do you have the Saints and Steelers so high? I, I could see a lot of that. Well, the Browns. Sure, they got OBJ going back together, but it is the Browns, right? It's like the Jaguars if they had like as good of a roster as the Browns. Just because they got it doesn't mean they're going to deliver, right? Doesn't mean they have the leadership, the coaching, and the culture. Those are big things in the NFL, if you haven't noticed, and those are the things that they lack. Uh, Saints and Steelers, they have very good defensive side of the balls. The, um, I think Jameis Winston is going to be the starter for the Saints, which could be even an improvement of what we saw from Breeze last year, as long as he doesn't throw a bajillion picks. I think they've worked together enough over the course of the year last year and the year before to you know make sure that he's set up for success. And the Steelers, don't forget they were 11-0 last year. They're only going to get better, and I believe between the culture and the capabilities there, they'll still surprise people and can be a contender. So I have them up high. Then I have Colts, Chargers. Um, the Colts could very well leap a lot of these teams. I like their team a lot. Uh, the Chargers as well. They're still a few years out from where their peak is. And then I have right behind them the Cardinals. Same thing in mind. They're a little a few years out. Behind them, I have the Titans, which always shock me. It's like the Rays in baseball. I always have them lower in the rankings, and they kick my ass. Um, Dolphins right behind them. Vikings, Patriots, Cowboys, Bears, Raiders. I really wanted to put the um, Cowboys higher just because they have so much fucking talent, but they always find a way to blow it up. You would assume with that shitty division, they're going to have a great record, put themselves as a one or two seed, and just handle business, but it's the fucking Cowboys. We them boys. Um, then I have Falcons, Giants, Eagles, Washington football team, Broncos, Panthers, Bengals, Jags, Jets, Lions, Texans. Number one overall pick in the draft next year, Oklahoma's quarterback Spencer Rattler to your Houston Texans. I doubt Watson plays. I doubt he stays there. If he does come back, they can just replace him with Rattler. Hopefully it works out. I love me Spencer Rattler. He's the most clearest thing I've seen uh, that's comparable to Pat Mahomes. But he's going to go to the Texans and their fucking terrific franchise. So... Good luck, Mr. Rattler. Can't wait for you to help Oklahoma potentially win the championship and be back in the, the playoff this year. There's a little heads up for your, you know, every time after the draft, they do way too early 2022 mock draft. I, I saw Spencer Rattler was number one, and I highly agree. That guy is phenomenal. I'm an Oklahoma fan in my bias, sure, 
But do I know he's fucking talented? 100%. Absolutely. He has such raw capabilities. He's been like the number one quarterback forever. Just like, well, the funny thing about Lawrence is like people forget Fields was number one for a long time. He beat him in the lead 11, right? He had a, a better start. So, yeah, people forget very quickly. Got to stay hydrated, you know? Well, that does it for the NFL. Again, if you don't notice, I'm fucking excited. I can't wait for the schedule to come back and just a little bit of football action. But other than that, something that I'm always excited about that's a really big, becoming a really big sport that's all year round, that's the UFC. So let's dive in and talk fighting. All right. Well, in the MMA world, we do have some new fights announced, and I can't wait. The first one, the Sugar Show's back, baby. We got Luis Smolka versus Sean O'Malley on the July 10th sold-out pay-per-view card. T-Mobile Arena with Conor McGregor. I don't think this was quite the opponent Sean was shooting for, but I think he wanted to be part of a, a live scene, right, with the fans back, and part of a McGregor card so bad that this is the fight he ended up taking. It is a lower-ranked opponent than Sean. Get another win, emphatic finish, then he for sure got top 15 the rest of the way out. So it still puts him in a good position. Just a bummer as I would have liked to see a little bit higher level quality of opponent. But never underestimate your opponents, especially Sean. Uh, but I don't think he does. He, he's got that killer mentality. And I can't wait to see him show the real sugar show in Las Vegas in front of a sold out T-Mobile arena. We also got Mickey Gall versus Jordan Williams. It'll be uh, good seeing Mickey Gall back in the canvas. We were supposed to see Diego Sanchez versus uh, Cowboy Donald Cerrone this weekend. Diego Sanchez, some sort of injury, had to pull out. The UFC ended up cutting him as this was probably his, you know, by far his last fight on his contract. I mean, he was part of the Ultimate Fighter 1. Like, this guy's a legend. He's been fighting a long time. Nothing against him. It's just his time has come. And he is now getting to fight Cowboy. is getting to fight Alex Morano this weekend. Uh, I believe it's the co-main, which Michelle Watterson and Mariana Rodriguez is going to be the main event. Which Let's see if this has been updated. I know they haven't officially announced that yet, which it being, you know, midweek already, it's kind of sketchy. Um, but I know that there's some logistics. It's hard to just throw in a main event right away. It looks like they have now announced it. So it's at least on the UFC webpage. I know it wasn't completely official yet for a while. Um, but pray to fingers crossed. That's the main event. Um, cool story. Francis and Ganu, right? If you haven't heard his story, listen to the Joe Rogan podcast with Francis talking about how he got to the States, how he got into fighting and really cool moment as he is now the champion that he beat Steve Miocic in the rematch. He had brought his belt to Cameroon and the whole fucking city was just celebrating, was having a good time. It was just a real cool thing to experience. You know, I've never been to countries like Cameroon before, uh, but I could only imagine just the hope that that brings, the inspiration that that brings. And that's what I try to do on the business side of Business and Buckets is get successful people in here, talk of their stories so you can understand what has helped someone build to their successful you know, opportunities, what kind of work they put in, ticks tips, tricks, you name it. And, you know, I'm sure that he provides all that to his country. It was just a really cool sight to see. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, I believe Wiz Khalifa as well, buying into the PFL, the Professional Fighting League, which is the big tournament where you could go win a million dollars. Clarissa Shields is making her debut at the PFL. There is becoming more avenues of mixed martial arts that's becoming appealing. 
That always happens, and there's always competition for the UFC. They usually just get bought out. Uh, but it's great to see the PFL. It's really cool to see those names investing in it. Um, the promotion is now a stock market ticker. Uh, you could buy the stock. Let's see. forget the name of it. It is Endeavor. Endeavor Company. It's a stock that you can buy. I thought about getting into it. I might. Who knows? Uh, but really cool to see that. You know, obviously, Marshawn Lynch has put his money into some really good things, such as esports early on. So, yeah, PFL, that's really cool to see. Speaking of PFL, Rory McDonald making his debut with a dominant first round finish. As much as I had expected, you know, Rory McDonald was a very high level competitor in the UFC. Um, and I'm interested to see if he could win that million dollars, which would probably be more than he got paid in all of UFC, which is sad. But it was really cool to see him debut and do well. And another promotion, uh, Yoel Romero having to pull out against Anthony Rumble Johnson. Uh, Bellator 258 is this weekend. I was going to talk about it with this fight on it. But now that the fight's not on it, it's not as intriguing to me. Rumble Johnson's fighting a fill-in fight. Supposedly, this fight will be pushed to June. But that lightweight Grand Prix, oh boy, is there some names. And I wanted to watch that. That's a UFC fight written all over it. The physicality and the just the craziness that these guys bring. I was so excited. Can't wait for that fight to happen. Hopefully it still happens, but it will not be happening this weekend, which is okay by me. I'll be in Hawaii. I wouldn't have been able to watch it anyways. Nick Diaz and Leon Edwards getting pushed to June. They were supposed to fight next Saturday's UFC 252 card, and supposedly they're just moving in a month back to UFC 253. I haven't seen the news of why Nick Diaz is pulling out. Supposedly it's a minor injury. Uh, but yeah, thank God Leon Edwards finally gets a quality opponent. This could help leapfrog him into championship contention. And it's just good to see we, your boy Nick Diaz back in the octagon. He, he always sells a fight, that's for sure. But let's talk this past weekend in fights. I didn't win a parlay this weekend. I forgot to tweet my parlay anyways. You know, I didn't win, so it is what it is. I'll make sure that I keep tweeting the parlays, tweeting the picks, because uh, I got some good analysis to give to you guys and some money to be made. This first fight, though, I did get right. We had Marab the Machine Desfili, unanimous division, uh, unanimous decision over Cody the Spartan Stamen. I thought this was going to be the best fight of the, the card, really, and I think it delivered. This is exactly how I imagined it going. Uh, Murad's just a little bit quicker, a little bit stronger, and a little bit better footwork. Uh, he looked like the better fighter, to be honest with you, uh, but Cody is a tough son of a bitch, and I'm sure he'll be battling out people right around the top 15, top 10 for a top for a while and be you know terrorizing people, but this is the machine's opportunity to move right up into contention. I think a finish would have been a lot better for him here, but Cody is no joke. Uh, he's hard to finish. Murab had landed 178 strikes to Cody's 73. He also had five takedowns, so beat him as a wrestler. Cody has a wrestling background as well, um, which makes me automatically think, looking at the bantamweight rankings, which is a fucking stacked class, how cool would it see, be to see Murab versus Frankie Edgar? right? Just a stylistic matchup. I think that'd be a really cool fight. Really, Murab hasn't fought a lot of the people ahead of him. He moved up one spot to the 11th ranked fighter. Uh, Cody is the 13th ranked fighter. So, you know, lots of green pastures for him. There are people that have fights. Pewter obviously wouldn't take that fight. Aljamain's recovering. Corey Sandhagen's fighting TJ Dillashaw. Rob Font's fighting Cody Garbrandt. Jose Aldo, I believe, has a... Oh, 
is open. Marlon Reyes, Frankie Edgar, who's seventh. Pedro Munoz, Dominic Cruz. So, like, he could fight really any of those guys. But stylistically, I think the Frankie Edgar matchup would be really cool. And this would help Frankie Edgar, because Mirab's on a winning streak right now, get one more shot if he did win. I don't think I would take him, but... Um, Mirab now on a six-fight win streak. Like, it's no joke, right? He trains with Aljamain in his, in his camp. Um, <laughs> there might be a day that you got to fight your boy, uh, but he's looking good. The machine is looking good. Um, tough loss for Cody, but like I said, I think he'll probably be terrorizing the 10 to 15 in this division for quite some time um, as he still has got, le- you know, he's just now in his fighting prime. We have Sean Strickland with the unanimous division. Unanimous. I don't know why I want to keep saying division. Unanimous decision over Christoph Jotko. Um, yeah, this fight went pretty similar from what I expected. I don't know a lot about Jotko. Uh, you know, Strickland's been around for a while. He kind of had some up and downs back in the top 15. And looking at the updated rankings, they have him to the uh, number 11 spot now. He was at the 15 spot, moving ahead of Chris Weidman, Kevin Holland, and Omari Akhmedov. So he now holds a four-fight win streak. And he had landed 84 total strikes, all of them being significant strikes versus Jocko's 37. So clearly, you know, the unanimous decision says uh, speaks into that. Uh, but what an awesome comeback. You know, he's 30 years old now. He had gone into a slump losing two or three. Uh, but he's right in the mix. And he's got lots of green pastures as well. Couple losses recently, getting on a win streak. Sounds like he could be fighting Big Mouth. I think that would be a sick fucking matchup. Maybe even Kevin Gastelum, who's taken some L's to some very high-quality opponents. But that will put him in a good position where it's like, cool, well, now it's Hunter's chance to get into contention. you know, Or Gastelum could reinvent himself through Hunter and move back up. Um, and I keep calling him Hunter through Sean Strickland. Uh, but I think a fight against Holland would be really dope. Um, but I had picked Sean in that fight, so I went two for two here. And then we had Ian Kutalaba who had a unanimous draw versus uh, Dustin Jacoby. I did miss this fight. You know, bummer for my parlay, losing in a draw. You have to pick a winner, not a draw. I think the odds are like 7,500 or 5,000 for each draw if you bet on that. But uh, I hate seeing draws. I would have gained the fight to Kutalaba looking at the stats. Um, The biggest story of this fight, though, especially with it being a draw, is in the weigh-ins, uh, Kutalaba had grabbed Jacoby by the neck and pulled him in. And literally two weeks ago, I think that Jakar close had got concussed because Jeremy Stevens had pushed him out, which you guys got to remember these weigh-ins happen right after they just cut weight. So I would imagine some of these guys are cutting 20, you know, plus pounds and are pretty weak at that time. Like if you ever see the embeddeds or, um, you know, anatomy of fighter, like cutting weight, it fucking is terrible. And you don't have a lot of energy coming out of it before you rehydrate. And then he does that. He could have hurt the fighter. Um, this type of shit could ruin faceoffs in the future that they don't let him get as close because, you know, fighter risk. So don't fuck it up for everybody. All right. Like you guys aren't even big names. Like, let's go. Like, don't fuck this shit up. It's super annoying to see. That's a slap dick move. And I hope they get punished for that. Maybe that's why they got the draw. They're like, fuck this, you know, whatever. I don't know. Uh, statistically, Kutalaba had led the total strikes landed 111 to 100, and he had lost the significant strikes landed by 13, 84 to Jacoby, 71 to Kutalaba. Uh, he had nine takedowns to Jacoby's one, though. Ring control, octagon control, you would assume that would come into factor, but at the end of the day, it was a draw. Um, the biggest storyline is the slapdick move that, that had occurred at weigh-ins. 
So there, go, there went my parlay on a fucking draw. But then we had Giga Chikadze with the first round TK over my guy, Cub Swanson. I had picked Cub Swanson. This was a big leap in competition for him. But Giga looks legit. And at this point, definitely deserves a fighter in the top 15. He is now on an eight-fight win streak. The idea that you're not in the top 15 on an eight-fight win streak, either you're starting your career on a roll or you're deserving of some higher-level competition. I think it's a little bit of both. I think he's ready for some higher-level competition. They have put him all the way up to the 10th-ranked fighter now. Uh, he has passed Sadiq Youssef, Bryce Mitchell, Edson Barboza. Uh, so he is sitting on the t- uh, in the top 10, and I don't think he's fought anyone in the top 15. I would like to see him against Bryce Mitchell um, or Sadiq Youssef, who just lost to Arnold Allen, another uh, good fighter who'd been on a big win streak. And Bryce Mitchell has been recovering from injury. I'm not too sure when he'll be ready, uh, but I think those would be great matchups for him. You know, Cub Swanson, tough loss for him. He's 37 years old. He's come off multiple surgeries. You know, he had hinted at retirement, recovering from those surgeries. On his last fight, he got the, I believe it was a technical knockout. Maybe it was a knockout. Can't quite remember. Uh, I would like to see him return. You know, he fights with a, a fucking badass crew. And I'm sure he'll be back just because he loves the sport. Um, but tough loss for him. At this point, you know, he doesn't really have to prove anything. But the the days of contention are definitely out the window. And then we had the main event. We had the Antana. Yuri Prachaka. The second round fucking nasty elbow KO to Dominic Reyes. So I had picked um, Cub Swanson and Dominic Reyes. So I had lost those two anyways. Uh, but Yeri, man, what can I say? He looks sharper, just like the Mirab fight. He looks stronger and better conditioned than Reyes right out the gate, which I was surprised at how gassed Dominic got through only two rounds. It's a five-fucking-round fight, right? And he had done so well against John Jones in that five-round fight while he's in a losing streak. So I know he said he's been battling some demons in the interviews and shit like that. I'm not sure what's going on with this guy. Uh, but, yeah, he, he was definitely gassed pretty early. This now puts Yuri on a very, very impressive streak. Not six, not eight, but 12 fights. 12-fight win streak, not all in the UFC, of course. Uh, Very awkward and interesting guy. Um, But boy, was that elbow finish nasty. I mean, right as it had touched Reyes in the head, complete lights out, lawn chair moment. Like, crazy shit. Going to be one of the knockouts of the year at this point, and I'm sure the rest of the year. Uh, He literally just shut those lights off. Um... What does this mean now, though, ladies and gentlemen? Well, clearly Yuri deserves a title shot or something very close to it. Well, if you look at the rankings, the only people ahead of him is Glover Teixeira, who obviously is fighting Jan Blakovich for the title. Well, actually, he moved up against Alexander Rachik. Rachik was two. Now he's three. Yuri's two. Um, Alexander Rachik, another young contender who has just blown the doors off even earlier than Yuri has and looks like the real fucking deal. Both guys need fights. It seems to make sense for me, right? Let the old guys fight. The winner of that gets the fighter of the young kids. I don't know if Yuri and team's going to like that. It's like, yo, dude, we've won 12 in a row. We've destroyed everyone we fought. We want to go straight to the title. That's fine. You're going to have to wait a while, though. Um, I would like to see him versus Rachik. I think Rachik's the better fighter, and I want to see that as soon as fucking possible, as that would be some must-see TV. I would like to see that more so than Glover versus Jan, as I think Glover's just going to try to take Jan down and avoid the legendary Polish power. But 
Reyes on the other end, it's going to be a tough spot. That's three losses in a row. Obviously, he's fought some fucking killers, and it's not like he's going to get cut from the UFC. He does look to see un, a little bit unmotivated to me. Um, you know, it's all about the bounce back, though, right? There's been lots of good fighters recently who just they've gotten bested by the better fighters. I think this is the case for Reyes, and I'm sure he'll fight some quality competition. They only have him at the fifth ranked fighter now, so it's not like he fell out of the top 15. I would like to see him on a fighter that's gone through some ebbs and flows themselves, uh, themselves as well, and see who could bounce back. Maybe an Anthony Smith, who's ranked number six now, or Johnny Walker, who's ranked number 10. Johnny Walker was a big-time prospect and lost some fights. Now he's trying to come back. Um, Anthony Smith, you know, he's fought for the title, been up and down. He's a little older, but he's saying he's just getting to his prime. Those would all be good for, good fights. The light heavyweight division doesn't lack a fighters for good fights, uh, but they've all gone through those ebbs and flows. I would be excited to see those fights. Regardless, though, lots of dope shit happening, more fights being announced, and the fight cards only get better. Next Saturday only gets better. So let's talk next Saturday. UFC 262, another big-time card. Actually, I lied. This isn't UFC 262. This is UFC Fight Night, technically ESPN or Vegas, whatever you want to call it. And then we have 262 the next weekend. Uh, but let's talk prelims. There's some good fights in the prelims. We have Phil Megatron Haas, the 32-year-old man with a 10-2 record, versus Kyle Dacus, 28-year-old gentleman, sporting a 10-1 record. Well, Haas himself is on a six-fight win streak. He has a little bit more UFC experience than Dacus. Um, so I'm going to stick with Haas in this fight. I think it's definitely a coin toss, but I like the power that he possesses. And, and Haas is staying active. He wants to fight. He wants to move up those rankings. He just fought in February coming off a victory. Kyle Dacus fought later in the year in uh, 2020. So, you know, it hasn't been tremendously long for him as well. But two fighters on the rise. Someone has to win. I'm going to take Phil Megatron Haas. And then another prelim. We got the vet Ben, Big Ben Rothwell, 39 years old, with a 38-13 and 13 record versus Felipe Lins, the 35-year-old man with a 14-5 and five record. If you don't know Rothwell, well... You know, he, he's hard to miss in a crowd, but he is a purple belt in black uh, BJJ. He does have a kickboxing background as well. And then Linz himself is a black belt in BJJ. Linz has lost two in a row coming into this fight against two killers, though. He lost to Tanner Bozer, up-and-coming prospect, and the ex-UFC champion Andre Orlovsky in his last fight. What his story is, is he's come from the PFL. He won the PFL championship, got that million dollars in 2018, came to the UFC. He's lost his his first two UFC fights. So I'm sure he's very eager to get a victory and prove his worth in the UFC. I don't know if he could come to a promotion, lose three in a row and get much respect or be on the roster at all. But Ben Rothwell, man, that's no joke. This guy is an animal. He's coming off a loss in his own right. So I'm sure wants to write the ship right. And these heavier guys, man, they just, they're just they lasting into their late 30s, early 40s pretty well. With that in mind, I'm going to go with my guy, Ben. I've watched him fight a lot of battles, and I just think he's very well tested. And Felipe Lins, if he couldn't beat Orlovsky, I don't think I could see him beating Rothwell. Uh, he's just a mammoth human being with a lot of power. Moving into the main card, well, quickly before we do that, I'll probably put both of the... If I can avoid the Phil Haas on my, my um, parlay, I will. But I'll, I'll most likely put the Ben Rothwell in the parlay, so mark that up. Moving into the main card, some women's fights. We got a Amanda Ribas, 
She's just a fucking joy of energy. 27 years old, the number 11th ranked fighter with a 10 and 2 record versus the vet Angela Hill, 36 years old, number 12th ranked fighter with a 13 and 9 record. While Rebus is coming off a loss versus Marie, uh, Marina Rodriguez, who is now the headliner of this card, uh, but she's very young and a, a big time prospect that Dana White speaks very highly of. Angela Hill's coming off a win in March, so right back in the mix. She's getting a little older, probably trying to make one more last run. And this is a big name to be able to jump frog some people in the rankings. Rebus is a black belt in judo and BJJ. Hill obviously uh, uh, likes to wrestle, and she has a kickboxing background as well. I'm going to take Rebus. I think uh, um, Hill is a little bit past her prime, her fighting prime. Um, you know, she, she's done really well lately, but... Rebos, like she's probably as hyped as like Sean O'Malley on the men's side, right? Someone that Dana White really speaks highly of. You could just see the talent. She has the it factor that you sell in superstars. You can't lose another one. That's totally gone. So this is her shot. She's got a vet. She's going to get and handle business. I'm putting it on the parlay. Mark it down. And then we have a very intriguing fight. We have Diego Fajeda. 36 years old, number 12th ranked fighter with a 17 and 3 record versus Gregor Gillespie, 34 years old, the number 14th ranked fighter with a 13 and 1 record. Um, if Gregor Gillespie rings the bell since you've been tuning into business and buckets, yeah, he was supposed to fight not that long ago, got postponed to COVID. He's got a new opponent, a tougher opponent in my opinion. Fiera himself has a 3 inch reach advantage. And this is Gillespie's first fight since 2019, which he had lost to Kevin Lee at the time, who's a stud in his own right, and he's been recovering from injuries since then. I believe he might have even had COVID. He was the reason uh, that the last fight got postponed. Uh, he was supposed to fight Brad Riddell in March, uh, but now he gets Diego. Well, Diego is a third-degree Brazil, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and an orthodox-style fighter. And his last fight, he had looked really fucking good, and I mean really fucking good, had fight of the night against Dariush in February. I talked about it on Business and Buckets, and I picked Dariush. But Fiera impressed me. Like, holy shit. I was like, how do I not know more about this guy? He is an absolute beast. Because Dariush himself is an absolute beast. Dariush is now the highest he's ever been in the rankings. Dun, dun, dun. Where is his division? Lightweight. He is ranked number nine. And that's still kind of probably some disrespectful. I mean, it's lightweight. You got Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Charlie Olives. I can never stop calling him that now. Uh, Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson, Connor, RDA, Dan Hooker than him. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to put him up ahead of those guys. But regardless, like these two guys, most classes would fuck people up. They're in a very tough class. That's why they're ranked a little bit lower. But, I mean, Gregor Gillespie himself, 13-1. and one. Like, this is no slouch. Uh, Gillespie, he is an orthodox fighter as well. Also a D2 wrestler. Has a big wrestling background. Uh, we had talked about that in his last fight against Brad, so I won't dive into that too much further. But with how good Fiera looked versus Dariush, it's hard for me to pick against him. I'm going to go with him over Gillespie due to the fact that Gillespie's been out for so long, recovering, going through some shit, and hasn't fought the level of competition Fiera has. And I like the idea that Diego's back after a very hard-fought battle with Dariush. He seems hungry. He seems eager to make moves. I'm going to take him. I'll put him on my parlay market, but this is definitely a 50-50 toss-up. It's going to be a tough one. I had almost taken Gregor the whole time, but my mind shifted just because of that last fight of Diego. Really impressed me. 
Then we got Maurice, the Crochet Boss Green, 34 years old with a 9-5 record, versus Margos Rogerio de Lima, 35 years old with a 17-7 and record. Green with a massive 7-inch reach advantage. Both fighters coming off a loss. De Lima training out of American Top Team with a black belt in BJJ. And uh, Green trains out of Jackson Wink's camp. He has a blue belt in BJJ. Both fighters are actually Ultimate Fighter alums. I cannot wait for that shit to return next month. Uh, Green got his nickname from there. I, I watched that season very closely. It was a very good season. Uh, he ended up losing to Greg Hardy, who just basically beat him with his athleticism. And then DeLima beat Tiago Santos in Brazil, Ultimate Fighter Season 3. And DeLima has gone up and down in weight classes. But just with where people are at right now, I'm going to go with Green in this one. I think he shows a lot of improvement from the Greg Hardy fight. He, needs to, he needed to work on his conditioning. Um, obviously, Greg Hardy is just a fucking freak athlete and hits like a truck. Uh, but I think that reach advantage is going to play a big role. Also, um, I don't know a lot about DeLima, but I do know Maurice packs a punch himself. So I'm going to go with Maurice Green. Most likely put it in the parlay. This one is a little bit more of an iffy, iffy pick, though. And then, in my opinion, the fight of the night, we got Neil Magny, the number ninth ranked fighter, 33 years old, with a 24-8 and eight record, versus Jeff Neal, the 10th ranked fighter, 30 years old, a 13-3 and three record. Two guys that I always would compare to each other, very stylistically similar, and they're both 9-10. Like, no surprise. They're right there in the mix together, and this is an opportunity for these guys to get into that contention window that they've been seeking. Magny himself has a 5-inch reach advantage. He's an orthodox fighter with a brown belt in BJJ, and Neil is a southpaw with a blue belt in BJJ. Now, both of these fighters are actually coming off losses. <laughs> Both fighters like to push the pace. They like to win with volume. They like to suffocate you, control the oct octagon, live off their cardio, and can wrestle. This will be very interesting because this will be a three-round fight. I think that this would be a lot more fun of a five-round fight. But in a three-round fight, I just expect a lot of fucking strikes, a lot of fucking action. Um, Magni himself has come from the Ultimate Fighter, and Neil is an alum of the Contender Series. Now, winner of this fight, I think, will be literally right in the contention mix. I mean, we look at the fighters ranked ahead of them. We got Damian Maya, which, I mean, yeah, he's still fighting, but that's a slap in the face at this point. Uh, Vicente Luque, Michael Chiesa, who had beaten Magni, very impressive move in divisions and looked great in this division. Uh, if you don't know what division I'm talking about, this is welterweight. Kamara Usman's the champion here. Then we got Wonderboy Thompson, Jorge Masvidal, Leon Edwards, Gilbert Burns, Kobe Covington. So straight savages at the top five here. And I would love to see these guys in the mix against them. And I'm still kind of like confused about the Michael Chiesa one. I love Chiesa. He's Spokane. You know, he's really good. But he looks, he either really leveled up and improved his game in this new division. This is where he belonged. Or Neil Magny had an off day. I'm not too sure what to wrap it up on. Michael Chiesa doesn't have a, a fight booked yet, but I would be very intrigued to see what his next fight is and how he performs. And obviously this Neil Magny, Jeff Neil fight is going to show me a lot as well, but I'm taking Neil Magny. This is my guy. I've always enjoyed watching him fight. He's a tough son of a bitch. I think it's going to be enough to get the job done. I do think this goes decision. So if you like betting on knockout, this probably isn't the fight for you. Um, but this is a tough fight to call. This is a very close fight, but I'm pretty confident with Neil. I'm going to put him in my parlay, so book it down. Then we got the Cowboy, Donald Cerrone, 38 years old, 
with a 36 and 15 record. He holds all the fucking records in the UFC, especially in his divisions. Versus Alex Morano, 30 years old, 18 and 7 record. Morano is a black belt in BJJ and Taekwondo, and Cowboy has a black belt in BJJ as well. If you don't know Cowboy, you're fucking up. He's a legend in the sport. You know, there probably aren't a lot of fights left on his contract. I wouldn't imagine there is, so this could be close to, to the end of it. He has lost four in a row and has a no contact no contest in his last fight. I'm going to pick Alex Morano just because he's so later in his career. I did the same thing with Clay Guida not that long ago. Clay Guida ended up getting the win. I wouldn't be surprised if Cowboy goes here, but am I going to put my money on him? At, not at this point. He's fighting a guy in his prime. Uh, I would love to see Cowboy win and do it in emphatic fashion, though. Uh, it's still going to be a fun co-main event. Cowboy's involved. It's fucking badass. He has his own bad motherfucker ranch now. Like, I mean, this guy's a badass. Lives in Denver. Trains with Whitman and team. So, um, yeah, we'll see. And then the random headliner that got put together actually ends up being a beauty. We got Michelle, the karate hottie Watterson. And boy, is she a hottie. Number ninth ranked fighter, 35 years old with an 18 and 8 record versus Marina Rodriguez, the sixth ranked fighter, 34 years old with a 13 and 3 record. Marina herself has a five inch reach advantage. Both fighters coming off wins. And it's going to be an amazing fight. I think it'll most likely come down to the judges. Women in five rounds, always interesting to see how they do cardio wise. But these two women are really badass, like beasts of the division. They are number nine, number six. They're not top, you know, top, top of this division. Uh, but I like both fighters. I'm going to take Marina Rodriguez in this fight just because of what she had done in her last fight. But um, some history on the fighters. Watterson's coming from Invicta, if you didn't know that. And Rodriguez is a Contender Series alum herself. Rodriguez is a purple belt in BJJ and has a Muay Thai background. And Watterson trains out of Jackson Wink. Uh, with the squad, and is a black belt in karate and a brand, brown belt in BJJ. Um, I think the winner of this should fight Mackenzie Dern, who's on a roll and looking fucking phenomenal. But this division, a bunch of hotties, you know, for women's fighters, usually I'm not attracted to women athletes, but a bunch of hotties in this division, a bunch of badasses. Like, the winner of this, any fight really is fun, right? We have um rose the champ baby i'm still so proud of rose like i knew she'd fucking do it all the haters what's up business and buckets knows what's up uh zhang wei lays there she's a beast we got yoana we got carla versus yang shinyon coming up so there's lots of fucking beasts in here the winner of this fighting in there it, it, it makes me excited that's for sure then you got rebus who's fighting on this card as well like really intriguing uh division that we, we get to see just kind of, you know, the dominoes start falling. But I think the winner of this against Mackenzie Dern's the move. And I can't wait. I can't wait for the fight, let alone the winner of this fight fighting Mackenzie Dern. And then I'm sorry. I jumped the gun. But next week is UFC 262. I'll be coming off Hawaii. Um, I'll be in Hawaii till midweek next week. So I'll probably be a day or two behind on the podcast. Be a little bit of a short week, but we'll preview 262. I can't wait to put some money down, win some money. Uh, and have a good time in the fight world. But what's also intriguing is the NBA. We have the playoffs so fucking close, I can taste it. As a Jazz fan, each and every game is on a microscope because they're battling with the goddamn Suns for the number one seed. Uh, but some news around the league. Carmelo Anthony, man. Carmelo, I just... Every time I hear people say mellow with LaMelo now, I'm like, that's such disrespect. To prove a point, he passed Elvin Baylor for 10th all-time in scoring. 
10th all-time. That's a big feat. And people thought he was washed and shouldn't be in the league, what, two years ago? Crazy world. Uh, Dennis Schrouder out at least two weeks. I think it's health and safety protocols, COVID, whatever. Uh, that's a huge hit for the Lakers that are currently in the fifth spot in the West, um, in and out of the play-in game. They're literally only ha- uh, one game ahead of the seventh-place Blazers. So then the war uh, Blazers and Mavericks are all battling it out, uh, but that's going to be tough for them. LBJ with the re-injured ankle, his timetable you know, to be determined, so that's also tough for the Lake Show. And then the Hawks announcing they'll be allowing seven, little over 7,000 uh, fans at the games for playoffs, which is really cool. I'd love to see that. I'd love if the Blazers had some fucking fans coming. Probably won't happen. Uh, but it's good to see the fans, the teams needed, especially come playoff time. And the, the Hawks, I mean, to be honest, I don't think anyone had the Hawks in the top five in the East. Like, they're looking really good right now, especially with Bogdanovich being the guy that they, they, they thought he could be. And before we recap last week's action, I just had to bring this up. The Cole Anthony interview and the the Magic's win a couple days ago, fucking hilarious. Like, this is an interview that, like, if I was playing someone online in NBA 2K, they would say that. Like, damn, dude, you just kept giving Cole Anthony the ball at the end of the game. Like, did you say something? Like, did you know it was going in? He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm that guy. Like, it just it was such a cool himself version of the interview. Donovan Mitchell had posted on Twitter. That's how I had saw it. I thought the shit was hilarious. If you have a time, check out Cole Anthony interview. I'm sure if you just type in Cole Anthony interview, it'll pop up because he does sadly play for the Orlando Magic that have a 21 and 44 record, which is the fourth worst in all of the NBA. And yeah, they're not going to be making the play in game. So check out Cole Anthony interview. It's a must watch. I was, I was busting, but let's talk last week since the last podcast. Well, on Tuesday, the Thunder beat the Celtics without Tatum and Kemba. So not necessarily too crazy uh lugens dort who is on my fantasy team in my playoff run right now he led the thunder with 24 points big win for the thunder tough loss for the celtics the celtics went up and down they're in the seventh spot currently a game behind miami for the sixth spot which is crucial because seven through ten are in the play-in format so that they're right on that line uh the bucks beat the hornets Giannis leads the bucks with 29 points 12 rebounds eight assists and Portland handles the Pacers behind Anthony Simons, 27 points. The young man, 9 for 10 from 3. You could imagine that the Blazers would love to see that in the playoffs. And if this guy could do half of that throughout the games, that's a huge, a huge advantage for them. The Nets beat the Raptors as Jeff Green leads the team with 22 points, 8 rebounds. This was just with Kyrie, no KD. And then the Mavericks continue to win without Porzingis, who's uh, nursing a sore knee. Luka delivered, though, 39 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists. He's always right around that triple-double. And then moving to Wednesday, the 76ers destroyed the Hawks without Trey Young or Bogdanovich. So much to be expected. Seth Curry leading the Sixers with 20 points of his own. And then the Wizards just keep on winning. Let's see. They're 8-2 and two of their last 10. Best record the last 10 in all of the NBA. And they uh, beat the Lakers. Westbrook had a triple-double. 18 points, 18 rebounds, 14 assists. Bradley Bill putting up a nice 27 as well. Before I finish what happened last Wednesday, though, I, I want to talk a little bit about Westbrook. I had a friend who reached out and said, why all the hate on Westbrook? And, you know, I've, I've just kind of been a hater the whole, his whole NBA career. First off, until recently, the Wizards weren't even in the play-in format. 
He has the, one of the he has the highest scoring player this year in Bradley Bill. And their team's really not better with or without him, in my opinion. Why do I say that? Well, the guy puts up monster stats, but he doesn't have like the the, the Wizards' depth isn't so nasty that it's like holy shit, like you know those stats can be picked up elsewhere. Like the Wizards are the Wizards. The fact that they're in the play-in game is pretty mind blowing, and that does change because of Westbrook, right? Westbrook, Bill decided to turn it on tonight. Like they could turn it on. They could beat anybody. They've beaten all the good teams. Because they just like, you know, one night they're like, hey, man, should we try to win this game? Like, I don't know what the conversation is, but some nights they turn it on. Let's just say it like that. Well, the Wizards themselves, I mean, this is their depth chart. Most people that watch basketball don't even know these guys. I know all of them because I'm a fucking nerd. But if I went and asked most people, they don't even know these guys. Raul Nito, right? He couldn't even make the Jazz's roster with Gordon Hayward. That's why he's there. Rui Hichimura, he's pretty good, young player, has some potential, but mostly a four or five on the depth chart of a starting lineup in most teams. Alex Lynn, he borderline can make any teams. He couldn't cut it with the Suns. Ish Smith, he's been in and out of teams. Garrison Matthews, always buried on the depth chart. Davis Bertans, good bench player, having a pretty decent year. Uh, Anthony Gill, I don't even know who that is. Daniel Gafford, not very good. Isaac Bonga, Jordan Bell, who uh, came from the Warriors. Robin Lopez, Cassius Winston, like, yeah, they don't have a lot of players, right? So the stats that he's putting up, it's triple doubles. He's been averaging triple doubles. It's great. What did triple doubles do for him in OKC? He had an amazing team. They got beat by the Heat. Okay, cool. He had another chance with a really good team. Still couldn't get the job done with PG. PJ said, fuck you. Like, no stars are wanting to play with him. Bradley Bill hasn't come out and said anything, but Bradley Bill's not as vocal. It also helps that he plays for the Wizards and no one's going to hear what the fuck he's talking about anyways. At least the Thunder had been like reinvigorated and been kind of put on the scene. But this guy is not a championship player. If you want to build a team or uh, build a team around a point guard, he is one of the last guys I want in the NBA to build my team around to win a championship. He's too egotistical. He is a terrible percentage shooter. Like, the first thing you need to be able to do to make the NBA is shoot the fucking basketball, and he's not doing that very well. Well, Shane, I don't fucking believe you. You're just talking out your ass. Well, let's pull up some fucking stats real quick. Like, it's 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 outrageous. This, I mean, Carmelo Anthony had a lot of this throughout his career, and that's why you know I'm not a huge fan. Like He's a professional scorer. But you got to be efficient. I remember time and time again when he played for the, war, uh, the Thunder um, with... Um, KD, that KD is like the best shooter in the game. He's open. He uh, ends up passing on the pass to KD, shoots the ball. It's a brick. He reminds me of Eric Bledsoe. Like, if you have the ball and I don't need you to score because I'm rooting for the other team, I want you to have the ball. I want you to shoot. I'll, I'll dare you. So Westbrook last game, 14 points. That's not anything crazy. Eight shots. Okay, cool. That was one game. 42 shot, uh, 42 points on 30 shots. That's actually a really good game for him. 17 for 30, 3 for 6 from 3. And just so you know, if you didn't hear me early on when I started this podcast, I am kind of nerdy with stats. Every single NBA game that happens, I look at the box score after the game. At the end of the night, I look at all the box scores. That's how I know who's good or not. Westbrook, 15 points, 14 shots. Typical. That's against the Cavs. Blowout in the Cavs. Like, that's in a blowout game and he's doing that. Against the Lakers, they did win. 18 points on 16 shots. We'll do two more. Against the Spurs, this is an overtime. 
So it came down to the wire. They ended up losing. I wonder why. Westbrook, 22 points on 26 shots. 22 points on 26 shots. Like, you can't tell me that you move the ball around, there's going to be better shots. Especially when you know that you can't fucking make shots. Game before, 14 points, 13 shots. So all but one game, he was shooting very efficiently. So that's what I'm trying to say is like, that's why I hate on him. He's just not a championship mentality player. He will be a Hall of Famer strictly on just how many seasons he's averaged a triple-double. But there's difference between uh, a, st- a statistically good player versus a championship me- player. So that's why I knock Westbrook. If you wanted to know, now you fucking know. Let's continue on last week. I had a rant on that a little bit. Um, the Celtics bested the Hornets. Jalen Brown turning up. 38 points. His uh, wingman, co-partner. We don't know who the leader really is. But Tatum had 35 as well. They needed to get the wins, right? They're, they're in the seventh spot now. Um, the Knicks defeat the Bulls as their attempt for playing game really falls further away. Um, obviously, they made the move at the deadline for Vucevic. Vucevic. I don't think they foresaw Zach Levine getting hurt. Uh, but, they're yeah, they're just in a mix-up. They have Markkinen on the bench. They got Kobe White as a starter now. They got a lot of players with question mark tags. Uh, so the Bulls are going to have a long offseason. That is for sure. Uh, but Randall smoked him, as he has been, 34.7 rebounds. And then Miami continues to win. They beat the Spurs, which the Spurs have had a tough go at it lately. They're in the 10th spot, but the benefit is they're two and a half games up on the Pelicans who keep losing as well. Uh, Butler leading the team with 29 points, eight rebounds, six assists. And then the Blazers just handle business versus the Grizz. CJ with 26 points. Tough loss for the Grizz. They easily could have been in the 7th, 8th spot, hands down. Now they're, you know, in the ninth spot could easily, they're a game ahead of the Spurs. So uh, they better get their shit together. Um, Nuggets with a tough game, but a victory over the Pelicans as they pretty much all but end their playoff hopes. Jokic with 32-8-7. This guy's got to be the MVP frontrunner, if you ask me. The Suns beat the Clippers without Kawhi. Kawhi's been out for a little while. I don't know if it's minutes restrictions or if he's really hurt. Uh, but they tightened the grip on their chase for the number one spot. CP3 with 28 points, 10 rebounds, or 10 assists, excuse me. This guy's been balling. The only reason the Suns aren't in the one spot now is because the Jazz have uh, one extra game, so they're a half game up. The this, this Suns win tonight. They will be even with the Jazz, but they have the tiebreaker because they beat them head-to-head. Trust me, I know as a Jazz fan, we don't have the tiebreaker. Um, on Thursday, the Nets handle the Pacers as they try to stay alive in their playoff berth. The Pacers are currently sitting at the ninth spot. They're a half a game ahead of Washington for the 10th spot. Either way, they'll be playing in, but they were another team just like the Grizz that easily could have been 8th, 7th, maybe even 6th, but they've been on a slide. Um, KD is officially back, proves that he's back. KD sniper in full. 42 points, 10 rebounds on 24 shots. See the difference there? 42 points on 24 shots. That's what you're looking for. Karis LeVert against his old team. Had to bring this up. 36 points. Good to see him hooping. Love to see it, especially after the health scare. And then the T-Wolves just randomly upsetting the Warriors. Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns, and Ricky Rubio all over 20 points. Love seeing Ricky Rubio get his just due. Got to bring him up as he is probably one of the most underrated people I've seen in the league in a long time. And then the Nuggets beat the Raptors. Michael Porter Jr. leading the way with 23 points and 7 rebounds. You know the Nuggets got love to see him continuing to roll pre-playoffs. 
And then headed into the weekend, Friday, the Suns beat the Heat to take the one spot for the first time this season. Uh, the Jazz are without Conley and Mitchell, obviously, but Booker led all scorers with 31 points. And then Philly beats the Hawks, seven players with double digits in this game. Their whole team went off. And then the Celtics barely beating the Spurs behind Tatum's monster 60-point night. Bravo, Jason Tatum. Bravo. And actually, let's see, when was this? Friday? This is just more Westbrook shade. Sorry. If you're a Westbrook fan, yeah, you're, you're, you're not going to like my basketball takes. <laughs> let's see. How many shots did it take him? 60 points, 37 shots. Five for seven from three. That's what I'm fucking talking about. Like, when you're feeling it, you got to do it. Westbrook, to get those points, he has to shoot that many shots. That's just not good basketball. Um, but monster 60-point line. The Blazer. it sucks that he had to put up 60 points to barely beat the Spurs, though. That just shows you the state of the Celtics. The Blazers pick up a very big win versus the Nets without KD, though. They had Kyrie. But Dame Dalla, Damian Lillard with 32 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. And then the Bucks put away the Bulls. Bulls are just sliding. Middleton and Lopez both with 22 points to lead the Bucks without their star player Giannis. And then the Kings just randomly stopped the Lakers. Tyrese Halliburton with 23 points, 10 rebounds, even though the Lakers had LBJ back and AD in attendance. And Tyrese Halliburton's most likely out for the year as the Kings are out of the playoff picture as he had just gotten injured. Uh, but yeah, I figured the Lakers would be all over that. LBJ's back and the Kings get the dub. Surprise, surprise. On Saturday, the Jazz got back on track with a win over the Raptors. Bojan Bogdanovic with 34 points. The Hawks giving the Bulls another loss. Trey Young popping off for 33-7. and seven. And then the Magic just shocked the Grizz. The Grizz just continuing to slump. And this is where Cole Anthony had his interview after a 26.8 rebound, 6 assist night. Love to see him back. And then the Mavs barely escaped the pesky Wizards that just keep on trying to win. Uh, Porzingis still being out, but Luka had 31 points, 20 rebounds, 12 assists. What a night for Luka. And he had to do it just to beat the Wizards. Westbrook also, by the way, we'll give him some love here. 42 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. Big, big, full triple doubles from the boys. And if you are in playoff fantasy basketball or you're, you know, right into the playoffs, you, you have one of those guys, that's, that's a big fucking night. And then the Nuggets gaining ground on the Clippers. They end up beating the Clippers as the MVP, Nikola Jokic, with 30 points, 14 rebounds, 7 assists. The Nuggets are in the three spot right now. The Clippers are in the four. They're dead even tied up, but the Nuggets have the tiebreaker. So that was a very big game and potential playoff matchup. Heading to Sunday to finish out the weekend. The Bucks take the Nets in a little playoff preview. KD and Kyrie playing as well. You know, James Harden still to be determined if he even makes it before the playoffs or win in playoffs. So it might just be the KD and Kyrie show early on. Uh, but Giannis is flexing, man. He had 49 points, 8 rebounds uh, to best the Nets. And then Portland beating the Celtics. CJ continuing to lead the team with 33 points. And Kemba has been out, but still a tough loss for the Celtics. And the Heat continually looking to move up in the standings. They beat the Hornets. Bam, bam, out of bio. 20 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. Excuse me. 20 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds. You got to get the double-double the with the assists because the big man's throwing out the dishes. That's 
really impressive to see big men pass like that. LaMelo Ball was back as well. Um, you know, the Hornets would like to have Mabello, but it wasn't enough. The Heat were doing work. And then the Kings just playing spoiler again. This time they beat the Mavericks and Marvin Bagley leading the team 23 points, 9 assists. And then the 76ers battle with the Spurs for a victory. Joel does it uh, does it himself, 34, 34 points, 12 rebounds. And then the Lake Show dropping another one on Sunday against the Raptors. Siakam doing work, 39 points, 13 uh, uh, rebounds. And Kyle Lowry, 37 points, 11 assists. I would assume a lot of that had to be with Schroeder being out, but healthy Lakers getting handled by the Raptors. But on Monday, the Jazz beat the Spurs as the, cur- the Spurs currently sit in the 10 spot. Bogey taking over without Conley and Mitchell, scores 25 to lead the way. And the Wizards and Pacers just don't apparently play defense. Well, the Wizards get the victory 154 to 141. If you're playing against the Wizards, and most likely the Pacers at this point just bet the over. Like, holy sheesh. Uh, Rui Hichimaro with 27-7, and seven, while Westbrook puts up a monster line, not on the scoring side, but 14 points, 21 assists, 24 rebounds. I mean, yeah, I got to give the guy props. So, like, that's just some fucking crazy lines, and he performs. Just not a championship-type player. The Warriors getting back on track versus the non-playoff Pelicans, sadly. Steph has 41-8. and eight. Zion has 32 for the Pels. And the Hawks beat the Blazers. Danilo Gallinari leading the way with the Hawks, 28-8. Their offseason acquisition starting to pay, uh, pay off right before playoff time. And then the Knicks beat the Grizz. Two teams I thought were similar. Knicks just handling it, man. They keep it on their winning ways. Behind Randall, Julius Randall, 28-6-6. The Knicks are legit. I'm going to be interested to see how they play in playoffs. They keep proving me wrong week and week. And then the Lakers beat the Nuggets in a massive game last night. AD with 25-7. and seven, And they beat the Nuggets without Schroeder and LBJ. They stuck to their defensive ways. It got the job done as AD shut down the paint. I don't know if it was a little bit of tired legs from Denver or what, but yeah, the big win for the Lake show that got him out of the playoff spot, play in positioning and the upcoming week tonight, we got nets and bucks and Raptors and Clippers on that TNT doubleheader. I love me the Tuesday night doubleheaders with Dwayne Wade, Shaq, Candace and Adam Lefko. And then the Thursday night with the regular NBA on TNT crew. Well, the nets are going for the one spot as they're battling with the 76ers. Right now, the 76ers have a game advantage over the Nets. And um, the Bucks are trying to hold strong as they did last week for a potential future playoff matchup. Because we, you know, most likely could see Nets versus Bucks at some point in time. And the Bucks bested them last time. So that's going to be a really interesting battle. Um, the Raptors are three out of the play in. So it might be a little too late, but still a big game for them against the Clippers tonight. And the Nuggets are battling with the Clippers, like I said, for that three spot in the West. They have identical records, so every game matters. Nuggets have the tiebreaker. And then the Mavs match up versus Miami as well. Both teams are in a very critical spot as Dallas is trying to avoid the play-in game, and so is Miami. Miami has just got the benefit of being a sixth seed where Dallas has... Oh, no, updated standings. Dallas is the sixth seed as well. So we got two sixth seeds trying to stay away from that seven seed so they can get a first-round matchup and not have to do the play-in bullshit. I like the play-in idea, though. I know LeBron was pissing at, you know, whoever thought of that should get fired. That's just because you found yourself being in it all of a sudden and you could have one game and be done. Uh, but I like the idea. It makes for, for fun TV. 
Uh, gives more teams chances. Instead of eight, we got ten. And um, also, Porzingis is probably not going to play. So another game without Porzingis. We'll see if Luca can handle that. Um, but yeah, very important game for both teams. Moving to Wednesday, the Jazz play the Spurs again as they try to keep that battle for the number one in the West with the Suns. That'll be on NBA TV. And the Suns also playing. They got the Hawks as they battle the Knicks for the number four spot. Right now, the Knicks have a game and a half advantage over the Hawks, which would be home court advantage in that series. What a fucking first round matchup that ha that's going to be. I assume that's pretty much what it's going to be. Uh, but yeah, big game there to, to match up in a potential first round preview. And then the Wizards play the Bucks again. Washington 1.5, one and a half games back of Charlotte, who has the eight spot in the East. You know, what a run they're, they're doing. Like I said, eight and two, their last 10. I want to say they were behind the Raptors and Bulls in the East like a two weeks ago. So they've been crushing games. They're, they're, they want to, you know, do some damage and play spoiler in the playoffs. And then the Knicks take on the Nuggets in a big matchup for playoff positioning on both sides, Eastern, Western uh, fun. And then Thursday is Nets versus Mavs. The Battle of LA. We got Clippers versus Lakers on TNT. What a doubleheader that'll be. Hopefully LBJ's back, even though I doubt that will happen. Kawhi Leonard hopefully is back. That's you know more probable. And then the Hawks take on the Pacers and two playoff team matchup Thursday. Cruising right in on Friday. We got Nuggets versus Jazz. I would love to watch that, but I'll be in Hawaii, so I will not be watching that. Uh, but it's a big-time Western matchup, playoff preview. These two potentially could be uh, battling. They battled last year in the playoffs, and the Jazz choked on a 3-1 lead. And potentially Mike Conley can suit up. There's no timetable, but they need wins more than ever. And then Knicks battling the Suns for seeding as well, right? It looks <laughs> Jazz got Nuggets, Suns got Knicks. Those are two tough games. And then the Lakers take on the Blazers on ESPN as the Blazers try to get out of that seven seed and get into the six seed. And then Saturday, it's going to be the offensive show. If you're a, a prop better bet offense, as the Wizards take on the Pacers again on NBA TV as they scored two, uh, 300 points in their last matchup. And then Grizzlies versus Raptors, Nets versus Nuggets on NBA TV, and Suns versus Blazers to wrap up Saturday. Cruising in on Sunday, we got Heat versus Celtics on ESPN. Massive, massive Eastern Conference game. Potential playoff preview. Knickers, Knickers, Knickerbockers. Knicks versus Clippers on ESPN and Suns versus Lakers on NBA, T and T NBA T TV as well. Suns, Lakers, what a fucking matchup that's going to be. That could be a potential playoff matchup first couple rounds as well. And then we have on Wednesday, because I probably won't have the pot up until Thursday coming off Hawaii, we got Blazers, Jazz, Wizards, Hawks, Spurs, Nets. Lots of playoff action happening. How many more games we got? So let's zoom in to next Wednesday. So we got till that Sunday. So after next week's pod, we'll only have one, two, three, four more days of regular season basketball. Holy shit. It's about that time. Lots of injuries, lots of health questions. Yeah. I mean, the playoffs, if the door is open, the door is fucking open, like wide open. Anyone could take advantage. Whoever gets healthy and clicks at the right times. I would say the most impressive teams right now, probably the Bucks, Sixers in the East. Nuggets, Clippers, 
top four in the West. Jazz, Suns, Nuggets, Clippers. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that turns. And a lot of teams, you know, the Clippers, Kawhi, minute restriction, whatever, they're waiting for playoff time. So it's going to be a doozy. Some potential playoff matchups. Blazers versus Warriors, which would be the first playoff game. The one-game matchup. I would take the Blazers in that, but holy shit, could you imagine Steph and Dame? What a game that would be. Probably come down to the wire. We'd have Grizz versus Spurs. I would probably put... So what would happen is the Blazers and Warriors would play. The winner of that gets the seven seed, which I'd put the Blazers. And then the Grizz and Spurs plays. The winner of that play the Warriors because they lose, and the winner of that gets the eight. I'd put the Warriors in. So I'd have Blazers seven, Warriors eight which would have Jazz Warriors first round. That's a little scary. If not going to lie if I'm a Jazz fan, just because, Steph. Uh, you got Blazers versus Suns. What a doozy that would be. Lots of star power there. Uh, Nuggets. I mean, the Blazers come playoff time with Dame Lillard taking over. They, they, it could be in every series, right? And the Suns, they're a great team. Like what Chris Paul has done, it's mind-blowing. But they are very under-seasoned come playoff time. Uh, we have Nuggets versus Mavs. Wow, that's a fucking matchup if I've seen one. I, I I mean, a lot of that would come down to Porzingis healthy. The Nuggets have a lot of point guard depth issues. Monte Morris being hurt. P.J. Dozier went out last night. Yeah, I mean, lots of questions to be answered. But Clippers-Lakers, could you imagine first-round Clippers-Lakers after everyone thought those were the two front runners? That's a first-round matchup. One of the L.A. teams going home and all the injuries that the Lakers have. Whoo, that would be an interesting matchup. Celtics, Hornets, Pacers, Wizards. Pacers, Wizards is pretty lame to me. I mean, there's hella offense, but Celtics, Hornets would be really fun with LaMelo back. Um, Celtics, Wizards, Wizards, 76ers. I would assume the Wizards and the Celtics win, so that would put Wizards, 76ers. 76ers should do work just with Joel alone, but the Wizards will be scrappy and score up with those guards. They'll eat up the guards, the Sixers. And then Nets, Celtics. Damn. I thought the Celtics would be top of the East coming into this year, to be honest. So the fact that they're so low is pretty crazy. And the fact that they would have a very unexperienced and barely put together Nets team, there's potential, even though the Nets should just destroy the whole NBA. But James Harden, ETA, we don't know. Even with Kyrie and KD, they could win it all. It's fucking crazy. Uh, Bucks versus Heat, right? The Heat beat the Bucks last year. The Heat could beat the Bucks again. They need a lot of Tyler Harrow to go right, a lot of Goran Dragic to step up. Uh, but that's a crazy first-round matchup that you do not want to see if you're Milwaukee, especially because Bam's going to shut things down. And Jimmy? And then Knicks versus Hawks. That's just We talked about that already. That's an awesome first-round matchup. Holy shit, I can't wait. I really hope it's Lakers-Clippers first round, though. That'd be sick. Except the, the problem there is if the Jazz get the one seed, uh, we'd play the winner of that game. I would almost kind of want to have the two seed. You'd play the Nuggets, who I'm pretty confident we could beat after you know last year. Um, and then the LA winner would play the Suns. So hey, maybe the two C is not so bad, but also they could go like the, the, the distance from four to eight is barely, very minimal. So a couple weeks of basketball left though. Let's talk baseball, right? Summertime means baseball time. Uh, some main headlines of note, the Braves are allowing full capacity at games now. So that, you know, Texas isn't the only one. Hell yeah, that's awesome. Let's get this going at all the ballparks. Please, please, please. Bad news for Dodgers. Dustin May out for the season with Tommy John. If you are a Dodger fan, though, and you are Dustin May, I mean, the guy throws gas. He has crazy delivery. 
he's probably going to get Tommy John. So the fact that it happens now when your team is so stacked and you could still win the championship, probably not a terrible time in my opinion. But uh, either way, he's a stud, tough loss for the Dodgers. The Mets firing their hitting coaches after a tough start to the season. They just said, fuck them. Uh, that's kind of funny. I knew the Mets would have drama this year. They have a lot of lot of expectations in that very tough NL East division. More injuries for the White Sox. Luis Robert out 12 to 16 weeks. That's a long time, right? I mean, we're talking all of May, June, July, you know, maybe August. So uh, they're without two of their star players early on in the season. But they got lots of young buddies. Maybe find some room for Yerman Mercedes out there. I don't know. Uh, really cool news that's probably not major news for most people. But the minor league season is starting, which is really great for developmental uh, for a lot of these players trying to make the league because there was no season last year due to COVID. So great to see that minor leagues kicking back up and all those economies that it's supporting. I know they've cut a lot of minor league teams out, but glad to see that's back in action. And how about Shohei Otani? I cannot stop talking about this guy. He is such a savage on the base pass. He ended up trying to steal third after this and got thrown out, which is annoying. But he literally hit a shallow single to center and the, line, the the outfielders were kind of like, oh, whatever, all the way to second. Like, this guy has elite, like, elite speed, elite velocity behind his pitching, elite velocity behind his bat. Like, what the fuck can't this guy do? It's insane. Mike Trout might have the best season of his career and lose MVP to Shohei Otani. That's how crazy this is. He's literally been given the green light to do whatever he wants. Dude, swing how hard, when you want, run when you want, how fast you want. Just make sure you're healthy. That's Joe Madden's MO this year, and I'm loving it. As a fan, you have to love it. As a fan, I don't love going to Seattle and watch the fucking Angels lose to the Mariners. Angels dropped the series 2-1 to the Mariners. I was in attendance to all three. Friday pissed me off. I mean, honestly, Friday pissed me off. The first loss, like... We have Andrew Heaney on the, the mound. Like I have such high expectations and he just chokes. We can't score enough. We end up losing Saturday. Thank goodness. We just smoke them, right? It was like 10 to one at one point. Our offense is clicking. We're hitting dingers. Like it's a show. And then Sunday we get shut out for the first time this season. So yeah, that was a tough one. Um, with the angels, it's the same thing though. Pitching, right? They're pitching like Quintana had seven strikeouts yesterday and then it lasts more than three innings. So, like, they have the stuff. They're just not putting it together. So, I don't know exactly who to fault here. Uh, we keep trying to do this one-year contract with players, and maybe that's just the problem. Uh, but can we please get an ace, make a move at the deadline or something? Jesus. The Cardinals sweep the Pirates, which is pretty big time. The Pirates have been winning sneakily. Uh, they're starting to fall back to reality a little bit, but the Cardinals are making moves. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. They're, they're picking up some steam. And then the Nationals sweeping the Marlins. The Nationals also starting to pick up some steam. You know, they had some COVID issues to start the year. Technically, they're in first place in the NL East, though. Uh, seven and three in their last 10. So, hey, watch out. The Mets win a big, big series 2-1 versus the Phillies. Uh, you know, this was a big-time matchup. Plus, it was a Sunday night matchup. It came down to the wire. Uh, but, you know, Mets got the series win, even though they, you know, are off to a slow start. You, you sign a mega contract to Lindor, and he's batting like one-something. So you got to make some changes. The Reds beat the Cubs 2-1. The motherfuckers just keep on winning. The Reds are 4-6 and six in their last 10, though, so they've been dropping a little bit. Uh, but they beat the Cubs in that series. And then the Astros continue to roll. They beat the Rays 2-1. The Astros in their last 10 are 7-3 and three as well. 
Indians beating the White Sox two to one. That's a little divisional uh, matchup. You know, the White Sox they're they're going through some injuries, but they're still fifteen and twelve, one game back of the Royals for the division. So they'll they'll be okay. And then the AL flexing on the NL a little bit. The Blue Jays sweeping the Braves. Very good team the Braves are. Sweeping them. Vlad Jr., man. Holy shit, this guy's coming to superstar faster than I thought. Um, I feel like Toronto's the Mets of the AL. All this hype, all these players, I think it's just going to be too much. There's been one consistent thing this whole year for them, though, and that's Vlad Jr. Love to see it. Love to see it. His dad is a reason. I'm a big baseball fan and an Angel fan. So, God, could you imagine Vlad Jr. in an Angels jersey? That would have been sweet. Maybe one day, you never know. We signed Pujols, we signed Hamilton, maybe we'll steal him away. Probably be a terrible contract past his prime, but whatever. <laughs> uh, the Twins take down the Royals 2-1 in divisional series. I really expected the Twins to have a good season. They've they've gone through some shit. They're 5-5 five five in the last 10, 11-16. Fourth place in the division, but that's a big um, series win against the AL, lead, AL Central leading Royals. And then the Brewers... Taking down the Dodgers 3-1 as they keep finding ways to win. Yelich, no, no Yelich, no problem. No Kane, no problem. They're 6-4 in their last 10, 17-12 record. The fucking brew crew, ladies and gentlemen. And then the Padres taking down the Giants 2-1 in a big NL West battle. Uh, the Padres, man, must see TV, but somehow the Giants are too. 17-11. Is that the best? Oakland's 18 and 12, Boston 17 and 12, but one of the best records in all of baseball, the San Francisco Giants. Never count those fuckers out. This weekend, we got some series coming up. We got the Freeway Series in LA. Wish I could be there for that, but I'm going to be in Hawaii. I'd rather do that, actually. Uh, but Dodgers, Angels, that's big time. We got Pirates versus Cubs, Nationals versus Yankees, little ALNL heat. Let the Yankees starting to pick up some steam. The Nationals hot right now. And Bruins, uh, Brewers versus Marlins. The Brewers keep winning. The Marlins need to get in a little bit of recovery mode here. They're three and seven in their last ten. And then the Sunday night baseball series. We got Phillies versus Braves. Another NLE slugfest. These teams are just going to beat the shit out of each other all year long. And then in the AL Central, we got White Sox Royals again. The Royals up one game on the White Sox. So this is going to be big time. And then Blue Jays versus Astros. George Springer returning back to Houston. And you know he's going to want some vengeance. That'll be interesting to see how that plays out. We got Rays versus Athletics, two top teams in the AL. And then uh, Giants-Padres rematch in the NL West. The Padres bested them last time. Will be interesting to see how those dominoes fall. Finishing up the show, you guys. A little bit of a bummer. Supercross coming to a close. The last race of the season for Supercross indoor at least, oh, AMA. I finally got the valid, you know, the validation of what the fuck was going on in the 250. So they had split it east west like we had talked about. It's just weird that they never face each other until the last race. They put them all together. But boy, did that make for some fun TV. I like the format of it. You know, now that I know what was going on. And how about Team Honda, man? Still in the show in Salt Lake. You got Sexton doing well the past couple races. Both Lawrence brothers, Ken Roxon, even though they didn't host a champion. Uh, but in the 250 class, Jet Lawrence adding to his win total and got to share the podium with his little bro, Hunter finishing third. So we had Lawrence first, Colt Nichols second, Hunter Lawrence third, Cameron McAdoo fourth. The guys had some crazy wrecks and just kept on going. 
Seth Hamaker, fifth. Joe Shimoda, sixth. Justin Cooper, ninth. That put the East points. So they all race together, but they have separate champions. In the East, Nichols stole the show. First place, 210. That was 19 points ahead. Joe Shimoda was second. And Jet Lawrence in third with 177. Could have Lawrence caught Nichols, potentially. He did miss a race. He didn't get a uh, race because of injury and had some injuries throughout the year. But he would have at least gotten second. But props to Joe Shimoda, Kawasaki, looking good. And then in the West, Justin Cooper with the championship, 194 points. That was 13 points over Hunter Lawrence, who had just passed Cameron McAdoo in third at 177. So that third-place finish versus Cameron's fourth-place finish, paying dividends, uh, getting the podium and the championship uh, totals, getting second place. Switching over to the 450, tough day for me. Ken took the lead, fell apart. Webb just needed to finish higher than 14th if Ken won. Webb said F that and owned the day. Webb with a first place finish. Muscan second. Sexton third. Ferrandis fourth. Uh, Malcolm Stewart fifth. Joey Savacci coming in with a nice sixth place finish. Barsha seventh. Plessinger eighth. Tomac ninth. And Roxon tenth. Tough race for Tomac as well, but KTM still in the show. Sexton should have got the win. Got passed up. Roxon went from first to tenth. What a tough day. Must have been some bike issues or something, I would hope. Uh, that put the points. Webb in the championship spot comfortably. 35 points over Roxon, who finished second. And then Barsha, or excuse me, Tomac finishing third, 30-some points behind, and Barsha 40-some points behind in fourth. Tough finish for Tomac and Roxon, but they finish on the podium. On to the outdoor season we go. Roxon didn't partake last year, coming uh, recovering from injuries. Interested to see, you know, if he, he he does this year. What a fucking season, though. I can't wait. Next year, hopefully fans all across the board. Supercross back in Seattle because I'll be there. Um, that's episode 122. Lots to cover today. Loving the sports world. Don't forget to check out Fueled Supplements. Use my promotion code BUCKETS on any supplement needs. It's summer. It's gain season. It's lose weight season. Whatever you're shooting for, Fueled Supplements has you covered. Use promotion code BUCKETS for 20% off. See you guys next week.